You're listening to episode 192 of the Dark Comics Pals. (laughs) This goes in line with my edgy new haircut. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't kill people in our spare time. (laughs) You suck at this, Kale, because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Because we're too busy killing. It's funny you bring up Dark because I've been thinking about Batman recently since Joel Schumacher died. And it's crazy because he made a better Batman movie than Christopher Nolan did. You know, Batman and Robin are just a lot better than The Dark Knight Rises. Damn. What a take. That's so stupid (laughs) that it defies all logic and thus doesn't warrant a response. Warner, like Warner Brothers? Warrant. <laughs> that movie had everything. It had Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger's as Mr. Freeze making ice puns. It had Batman and Robin on ice skates playing hockey with goons. It was kind of like the perfect Batman movie when you think about it. It had the bat, the bat visa. That's right, the bat visa, bat nipples. Oh yep. my god, it hurts! It hurts. Yep. That was Plastic that oh, 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 here's my favorite one. Plastic lips. Ooh. Yeah. Dude, I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie. The, the plastic lips, for whatever reason, they really disturbed me. Like, that scene of him just pulling yeah. the lips off him, I was like, ah! Like, that, like, stuck with me as a kid for some reason. Yeah, that was pretty weird, actually. It's, <laughs> it's just unsettling. Mark, have you ever seen Batman Robin? <laughs> I did. Good movie, right? Uh, excellent. <laughs> oh, so Marco's continuing his bit of liking bad uh, DC movies. I got it. Okay. No, Marco likes the good shit. Well, only like the good shit. Marco's going to learn to love alone. bad things. Oh. Believe me. <laughs> the bad shit. <laughs> Why is that, Sean? I mean, please. Well, for those of you who are members of our Discord server, which you really ought to join, and while you're at it, you should uh, look us up at the Comics Pals on social media. You should uh, reach out to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, on YouTube, if you're watching this now, you can see Kale's bad haircut. And bad you can, <laughs> bad you can <boy>. also... Uh, <coughs> bad haircut boy, that's me. Leave Dark us a haircut. comment. Yeah. <laughs> Dark haircut. <laughs> uh, share this video with your friends and uh, subscribe to our channel for more content like this. So, but if you are on our Discord server, then you would have seen the discourse around what Marco should read, what bad event Marco should read. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read a few of these suggestions from some of the people in our Discord server. Uh, the kind of horrors that they feel like Marco should have to endure. Oh, I like horror books. Mm, yeah, the, this is horror of a but different how you, kind. How do you feel about being in a horror book? Oh, <laughs> not as fun. Mm. We'll buckle up. Yeah. All right. So uh, we've got we've got a, a, a few that I, I thought were really juicy. So you can probably uh, part of those from, down. I feel like a few is a little no. much. <laughs> That's true. We only want one. He's got a point. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, Jman313 uh, 
he avoids he says uh event comics are why he avoids the big two which is a whole different conversation but uh he says as as recommendations ultimatum aka transformers the movie for marvel uh that's 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 a little ridiculous transformers one was was all right they, they got they got rough after that but the first one was okay i, I ultimatum, don't know that I would- you call any part of Ultimatum okay? <laughs> exactly. Ultimatum is not okay. Nor Transformers. I think Transformers one is was solid. I, there's nothing redeemable about Ultimatum. It's I, it's awful. I think particularly if if the first Transformers had been the only Transformers movie, I think it'd be like, yeah, no, that was all right. That was pretty good. You know, it's it's the fact that it spun out like six sequels that were all just dog shit. Was Bumblebee bad? No, No. Bumblebee I've heard is good. That's what I was going to say, is the thing similarly uh, to Transformers, how we got Bumblebee out of the whole Transformers franchise, we eventually got Miles Morales out of Ultimatum. And really... Not really, but... (laughs) Well, I mean, he spawned out of, you know, the events of, of the book. And so really, Miles Morales is the Bumblebee of... Marvel is what I'm trying to You're say. Trying. That's, a, that's a real stretch, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. terrible, Kale. We should probably move on. <laughs> from from okay. that, yes. Ultimatum it is. Over to... No, you don't get to choose. Uh, <laughs> J-Man's recommendation of Shadowland, which is rough. Shadowland that came up is last rough. week, right? Yeah, somebody yeah. else. Uh, yeah, Casey. I, I, I brought up Shadowland uh, oh. on the actual show itself because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so there's that I, I, two awesome recommendations from J-Man thank you very much maybe we'll go with those who knows um, Left Eye Lazy aka Matt Murphy suggests Marvel Zombies is that bad? I don't, I don't that's not bad I don't trust Matt to be honest with, with that one because I feel like it could be good, but Matt just, you know, there's a lot of things that are mainstream that Matt doesn't like, so it's possible yeah. that, you know, he just doesn't like it because of that. So like, I don't know. It's like, I wouldn't say that it's great by any stretch of the imagination, but like, I think if Marco read it, like, he, if, if that's the one we're going with for bad events, he's getting off way too easy. Yeah. I was probably, yeah. I mean, it's great that you guys chose it then. I mean, thank you. Uh, oh, I think, I think Murphy's trying to, like, save you. <laughs> Uh, Omega Zed, he suggests Civil War Two. Nice. Um, that yeah. was bad. Civil War Two is bad, but the thing is, Civil War Two's art is actually phenomenal. Civil War Two is one of the best looking books mm. that Marvel put out at the time, and Marco really, really likes good artwork. That's true. So we cannot pick a book. That looks as good as Civil War Two does, even though it's not good. Cut it, mm. cut it. Why? Why are so many of these Marvel books? <laughs> Maybe because Marvel makes shit events. Marvel puts out a lot of events, and a lot of them are not good. Oh, all right. Almost all of them are That's bad. True. That's <laughs> not true. Uh, how many of them have you read, Phil? Uh, Sean, would you say that it's at least two to one? Like of three, two are bad. Mm. Is that closer? Um, I don't think I would even say that. No, I don't don't think I would say that. I think 
I think Marvel had a stretch somewhere in the late 2000s after Civil War and Annihilation where they were just putting out weird shit in the, in the early 2010s. But, but among those, there were a lot that were also good. So it's just it's a, it's a roll of the dice. Um, he also suggests AVX, Avengers vs. X-Men. Uh, <laughs> AVX was rough. And it's thick, Not good. too. It's, it's thick. a thick motherfucker. I think it's 12 issues. That's fucking uh, boring. Several writers, several Ugh. artists. It's a hodgepodge. If that were to be the choice, I would say, as the chooser, that Marco would also have to read A plus X, which was oh. the direct tie-in to AVX. Which was like a pairing of a, of an Avengers character with an X Men character in a weird scenario. Huh. So if you were to have to read that as well, you'd have to read something like twenty four books, which sounds uh, real juicy to me. Marco, can you get into uh, things that are thick like that? Can I what? Can you get into things that are thick like that? Hell yeah, baby! <laughs> so uh, I just I took a quick Google of it. And apparently, there are eighteen issues of A plus X. So that plus uh, the twelve would be thirty. That's uh, pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Pretty good. That's pretty there good. You go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but then we got a recommendation from Sultan of Swing, mm. who says, "I love events and I love the X Men, but the worst event for sure is Onslaught. That's mm. what Marco should read." It's a good yeah. choice, man. What is that? It's a bad book. Oh, you about <laughs> to find out. What, what I love about it, too, is that Marco doesn't even know the basic premise of Onslaught. That's good. So he doesn't know who that is. He doesn't know how that comes to be. That's fantastic. He's going to be confused, right? It's long. <laughs> it's, I was going to say, it's long, too. Yeah. It's dragged out. Let's see just how long the Onslaught uh, event actually we don't, is. We don't have to, I feel like. I feel like we do because I feel like this is a great contender if it's for what – go ahead. If it's 50, it's got my vote automatically. Oh, is it, could it be that long? <laughs> no. I'm trying to – That's too long. Nah. Why? What, you don't need to set the rules? No, no, no. I mean like that's too long for an event. Oh, oh. oh I mean, um, yeah, that's why it's bad. <laughs> God, I'll tell you what. The first appearance section of the fictional character biography on Wikipedia is like 10 paragraphs. So I think it's a pretty long event. Oh, Wait, so Onslaught's a character? Yeah. Hey, shut, shut your mouth. Shut I'm your just, ears. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out where we're going. So on marvel.fandom.com in their wiki section for the Onslaught event, there are a lot of books that they list as being... Um, a part of this, so uh, eighteen twenty-one, oh, twenty-eight issues. They're listing as being a part of this this uh, event. Eighteen twenty-one, twenty-eight, twenty-eight 29. issues. That's, that's oh, okay. total. Yeah. So 
Uh, I also I picked up uh, Ultimatum, and there are tie-ins for Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and X-Men that I think are all the same length. So it's, it would be about twenty issues if you wanted to make them do Ultimatum. Um, oh, so man. I feel like I feel like you cut it. It's too short. Um, it sucks shit though. But like the tie-ins aren't <laughs> as bad as the main event, and that's only five issues. I gotta tell you, it's too short. What's re- it's too what's short. What's really appealing to me is one of the creators of Onslaught is Scott Lobdell. <sighs> oh, yeah, no. yeah, baby. Is that the case? That is, in fact, Yo. the case. Oh, it's oh not, my no. goodness. Sean, if I can make my final plea. <laughs> Go ahead. Go so, ahead. I like this part. Okay. So, had I won, right? Oh, I oh had you won. Now we're getting, in, won, we're getting into like fairy tale land, huh? It's okay. Uh, no, it's English. <laughs> Let's hear it. Had, had I won. Uh, I would have I would have graced you with a good book, um, the Bible. Oh, yeah, the Bible because because obviously Jesus, he's the real first superhero. Mm. That can't be true. So that's so that's your appeal for mercy is oh I wouldn't have done anything to you if I would. I wouldn't have done you dirty, Sean. Mm. You know what, Marco? I actually <laughs> believe you. I would. I, I, I was going to get you a really good book. What was it? I was gonna be swamp, swamp thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just I, goes silent. <laughs> I would have appreciated that, and I believe that you would have given me a good book to read. But the thing is, you're not Marco. That I am not you. I am <laughs> and me. We, and we gotta make that content, baby. <laughs> Screw the content. If we didn't even have a podcast, I would want to torture you because. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you, right? You should not challenge me again in Smash I'm Brothers. The champ. Double or nothing right now. Right now. Listen. You we can settle all of that after you read Onslaught. Yes! 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 Damn. Yeah. Hope you enjoy it. You this don't is come a at the king. You know how, how DC has the reverse flash? This is a reverse book club. The book club is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be something enjoyable where the five of us get together to read a book that we like or that a listener suggests, and we report about it on a separate episode of the show. This reverse book club is one where not the five of us, but one of us <laughs> will have to read a really terrible comic book. Ooh. Not one comic book, Ooh. but in fact... 28 Ooh. comic books and we'll have to report on that on uh, this podcast dragon king are you ready it's, marco was it it's also 29? gonna kill his wife <laughs> that too and he has to buy them physically <laughs> I know, I'm, yeah i'm on dcbs right now and i um <laughs> i bet oh, i'm not that, excited this is gonna cost you so much i please do this for me marco i oh, bro, really want here. We'll, we'll deal with all that. Am I spelling it wrong? We'll find well, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really want you to film yourself reading it. Oh, I like, am. Just I have am. a camera on you the entire time you're reading it, so I can just get like a, a solid ten hours of B-roll of you just. Uh, um, there's gonna be cuts. I'm uh, like, what is this shit? <laughs> I can't. Well, I don't know. Maybe, hey. maybe I'll enjoy it. We don't no, know. You won't. <laughs> Scott Lobdell writing. Joke you ever you made won't. On this show. God, I, I can't <laughs> wait for Marco's book club. 
<laughs> I'm really excited. And in like a month from now, we are going to get that report from Marco, and I'm going to savor it. Oh. We, we all should. This was a community effort. I want to thank everyone in the Discord who uh, added their voice to this conversation. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for joining me in the torture of Marco, and the fruits of your efforts will be on display in about a month when Marco is done torturing himself. <laughs> Oh, what is so. this 90s-ass-looking art? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get ready, yeah. dude. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's beautiful. Trust me. We've got a lot to talk about other than Marco's torture on the show today. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Empire Number Zero, so stay tuned for that. We're also going to be talking about the return of Batman. <gasps> Of Michael Keaton's Batman, in fact. Oh. Batman Returns? Batman Returns, again. <laughs> All right. Can't wait. For the second yeah. time. That's right. Official but- title. <laughs> He's returning in The Flash, which is even weirder, but hey. Uh, before we get into that, we do have to do the Pals Polls, of course, which is a segment where we talk about books that are coming out in this upcoming week. That we're looking forward to. Oh, I know what's on so, Marco's uh, poll list. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward. To Onslaught. I mean, Olympia number five. Oh. Go ahead, Marco. <laughs> so Olympia, uh, I brought it up in the past. It's a, it's pretty much like a love letter to some of the Jack Kirby-esque kind of storytelling. It's It brings up old sort of styles of art. It introduces different kinds of. Oh, thank you, Phil. <laughs> uh, listeners, that he just sent me the Amazon link to. Ugh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and and it's very. Uh, it's published by Image. I've been enjoying this series. I, I haven't. I don't think. Enjoyed one as like one of the series as recently as I have, or rather, I haven't enjoyed an Image book this much in like a while, and. Um, Phil in particular, I think would really like it. I know you're you're a fan of like Kirby S shit, and uh, the the sort of the storytelling about it is about a kid who he basically is sitting under a tree, and a superhero from another dimension comes through, and he has to help him navigate the world. But there's villains coming in from the other side that he has to and then help as well, and it's all written via a comic book that somebody has already written so people know what it is, but we don't know what the last issue is. And this is essentially the last issue. Huh. Hmm. It's it's really it's really interesting. I think that depending on, on, on how it ends, I may make this a book club in the future because oh. it was it was a lot of fun. Wow. And it's written by Kurt Pyers. And whoops. Just lost it. Uh, so it's written by Kurt Pyers, Tony Pyers. The art is by Alex Diotto and D. Cuniff. And it's really good. Overall, very, very good, very good series. I was impressed by it. That's awesome, Marco. Uh, let's talk more about Onslaught. So <laughs> Phil just Phil just linked ah. to the X-Men Road to Onslaught Volume 1. I love that it's Volume 1. I hope there's a Volume 2. Uh, and I'm going to read this description just so that you can get a little taste of what Marco's in for because this is beautiful. 
Tell me, Marco, if a single thing that I'm about to say <laughs> makes a lick of sense. Here we go. The X-Men have just averted the Age of Apocalypse, but the threat of Onslaught is right around the corner. A villain so powerful, he put the unstoppable Juggernaut into a coma. I know who that is. But before the X-Men can learn more about this shadowy foe, they must face Gene Nati. Oh, Gene Nation. Sorry, this is that's how it's written on Amazon. Oh, oh yeah. Led by the vicious Arrow, uh, Marrow. And help Magneto's acolytes battle Apocalypse's son Holocaust, who escaped the AOA into the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Plus, how will the world react when the legacy virus is made public? Can Rogue handle learning Gambit's greatest secret? And did Sabretooth's brain damage truly change his personality? Or is he a time bomb waiting to go off? All this, and the Xavier Institute enrolls a new student. <laughs> What a, what a like end sentence there, and a whole new students in the school. Great, Amazing. they're the exchange student. Oh, Go back no. to the brain there's damage a, thing. There's a volume two. Oh, also, yeah. uh, here real that's, quick, that's the road to Onslaught. Marco, uh, there's also a volume three. Yep. Um, oh. Right now, you can get all three of them for $118 on Amazon. <laughs> you might want to jump on that though, because there's only five left in stock. So, so you're gonna want to get. Get on this right if now. I may, I found a reading order. There's for the road to onslaught. Oh, there God. is three, uh, three volumes. Then there's <laughs> three full. Volumes. There's X Men Prelude to Onslaught, which is uh, in parentheses not recommended. <laughs> uh, I think I think Marco should have to read that. Then though. there's Onslaught, the complete epic books one, two, three, four, and four. Uh, which will take us to the end where it's Onslaught Epilogue. And then Iron Man 6, oh part god. of Heroes Reborn. Oh my god. Beautiful. Oh my god, Marco, no. So, <laughs> I believe that was seven hope volumes. Empty, hope you have an empty credit card, buddy, because... Damn, why is it so long? Make Marco Marvel! <laughs> oh, demolished. That's horrible. Thank you so much, Sultan of Swing. Really appreciate that. What man. a suggestion. Uh, on to other matters, though. Of course, Marco does have another pals poll, though. I don't know when he's going to find time to read it. Uh, unprecedented. Oh, no, oh, th this okay. one's good. This one's fun. So it's cartoonist Kieran Dwyer. And it's basically yeah. just a collection of Donald Trump cartoons where they put them in really like awkward and funny situations. And mm. typically he's presented as a, a, like a man baby. He has frequently wears diapers it's uh, it's a lot of fun it's goofy and it's uh, an interesting format because it's actually uh like wide the 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 pages go uh, horizontally versus vertically and so landscape that's it landscape thank you and it's fun it, it was a really fun book i think there's a, there was a lot of uh uh just well well used and witty commentary in it that i, that I think people will enjoy all right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> There's this ad I just found for it where it's it's Trump talking to this alien and the alien's just like, is there someone else we can talk to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like one of like, the first pages. <laughs> Marco, I think if you like witty commentary, you're going to like this Onslaught stuff. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> Lou. <laughs> oh, man. You guys know how um, on Netflix... They're, they always have like three buzzwords that they associate with. <laughs> 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 and, 
and it'll be like irreverent, you know, uh, yeah. witty. <laughs> I love, I love the idea of that. The onslaught cover, and one of the <laughs> one of the tags is, is witty commentary <laughs> <laughs> on what? <laughs> on on everything, honestly. It's just witty commentary of everything. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh Kale chose Raiders. What's that? So uh I actually have not much of an idea. Uh the reason I'm excited about this is um the artist, I think his name is Christian Ortiz, but he goes by the pen name of Crom. And he's uh he's an artist that does a lot of like uh uh <clears throat> excuse me, cool uh like fantasy skulls and um um, he he has a, a little web strip called like the Bird King, that's uh this cool like skeleton juggernaut that is a Bird King. Um, uh huh. And uh, I I mean that's it. That's all. That's all anybody knows. <laughs> um, but I've seen his I've seen his stuff around the uh, the British Comic Cons, and he's a a big uh, a big staple at Thought Bubble and everything. And this is mm. his his first like real big mainstream book. Wow. Um, so I'm, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. It's uh, ooh, I forgot who the writer is, um, uh, but I'm I'm sure he's good too. Uh, Daniel Friedman. That sounds right. It is. I'm looking at the Amazon. I, I said I believe you. Okay. Well, uh, it All looks right, good. Cool. Nice. And and you said this is their debut, like mainstream work. Yeah, at least Crom's. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like the the main character is giving me like kind of like witchery vibes, but like a lot of this like side stuff has like a little bit of like a like an adventure timey like kind of cartoony look too. Like those two styles juxtaposed are really cool. Like Witcher, Witcher by way of like Miyazaki. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think those are two good like touchstones. Interesting. Well, <clears throat> Phil chose Infinite. Crisis Omnibus New Edition. Yeah, um, I guess this is not nearly as good of an event as Onslaught, but <laughs> that's not getting a new Omnibus this week, so I had to pick the next best thing. Uh, if in a crisis is a mid-2000s crisis DC event, you know that there's a lot of those, but this is one of the good ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is Jeff Johns and Phil Jimenez, but also mm. it collects uh, multiple issues of Action Comics and Adventures of Superman, uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, Day of Vengeance 1 through 6, uh, Day of Vengeance Infinite Crisis Special, JLA 115 through 119, Infinite Crisis 1 through 6 itself, uh, the OMAC Project 1 through 6, which is a great tie-in. Uh, the Rand Thanagar War 1 through 6, which is good and topical to our uh, Adam Strange event. Um, it's a really good event. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, and I also have all the collected editions of 52. So, all together, this is a yeah. nice l- Yeah. This kind of. That might be an omnibus I get. I'm thinking about it, man. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so, there you have I, it. It's funny when. Uh, I I only read Infinite Crisis, and I only read it once. Uh, So this is, I guess you could say it's a gap DC-wise. So I would love to pick this up and get all that in one shot. It and the tie-ins are, it's one of the better constructed events DC's put together for sure. 
Cool. Pete, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, I thought it was it's funny because earlier today when Phil shared that he was going to put that on his pals polls, Kale was like, what could possibly be in that? And then it's just like, oh, shit, no, that's great. <laughs> Turns out fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> cool. Uh, Pete and I both chose... Oh, sorry. I was, I, Go I was just going to apologize. I know it's on Onslaught, but you know. <laughs> Can't, uh, not all events can be Onslaught. That's <laughs> true. Pete and I both chose Firepower number one. Yeah, uh, so this is a new book by um, <clears throat> Robert Kirkman and uh, Chris Samney. And uh, with art, some additional uh, stuff by Matthew Wilson on uh, colors, and um, I was able to check out the uh, the Prelude uh, original graphic novel that they did, which is available now. I think it came out like I want to say like last or no, maybe it hasn't come out yet because I think it was supposed to have already come out by now, but it got delayed. But we got it early through Image. Um, they sent to sent it to us as a preview thing, and then Firepower One actually comes out this week. Um, so I, I was able to read the, the OGN last night and, um, I, I, I had mixed feelings about it. Um, I think it, it, it both made good use of and didn't take as much advantage of the OGN format as I would have liked. Like something I thought was interesting was, um, there's no dialogue in it until the, uh, 15th page. Um, and there are a few moments like that where like it lets you know like fights or like physical moments and stuff like that breathe and like it's cool to allow the art to tell the story that much at some times um so i like that device but in the same breath uh there were some of the beats of the story that like it felt like it was a little choppy because what i realized at the end of the and this is like a, a mild spoiler but if you're interested in the comic like you'll know this if you look at the solicits um the firepower actual proper series that's picking up now with number one takes place years after the original graphic novel so this is very much like the main character's backstory and like how he trained to get the firepower and like what why he you know went and and went through that whole thing um what? I'm sorry to interject. I just dig some. I did some digging, and oh no, are you on the same page? I don't know. Hold on. So, Wizard Magazine <laughs> had a list of their top ten biggest disappointments of 1996, and five out of the ten oh, were related to Onslaught. <laughs> Let's let, let me look at a couple here. Uh, Mark Wade, who was one of the writers on this, uh, comics hottest writer on comics hottest title. Unfortunately, his work on X Men was easily his weakest, and his six month stint was shorter than a Liz Taylor marriage. That's good. Uh, <laughs> another one here. Uh, this attempt at a Dark Phoenix style story was a bit of a baffler. <laughs> <laughs> a baffler. <laughs> Another one. Just get on with it already. <laughs> oh, that's what Marco's going to be saying. And one yeah. last one. <laughs> this quote, starting from scratch, unquote, maneuver by Marvel was unnecessary. You don't need to blow it all up. <laughs> so anyway, so I was uh, I was coming up the, the things on on Amazon. And right now, just looking at the complete Onslaught Epic books, so volumes one through three, the card is currently at 168. Now, the complete Onslaught Epic book four, there's one left in stock 
Guys, if you didn't see it, it was $300. And, and wait, and it says used, good, show some sign of wear, perfectly readable, may contain some writing and highlighting. It's, it's (laughs) it's definitely used. It's not good. So you're gonna get to see as the as the person who previously owned it as they descended into madness. <laughs> lost focus on their, it. Their scribblings in the book. It, it's commentary on everything, like we said. The the gutters just filled with just like the scrawlings of a madman. Uh, I love the only it. thing. The only it. thing that'll be in the gutter is Marco when he's done with this book. Oh yeah, that's where we're gonna find him. Uh, All right, so. Firepower. Let me just finish this up. <laughs> right. Uh, yep. So, th- this is very much like it feels like we're setting the stage for what the book is actually going to be about. So it's funny because as I was reading it, I I very much had this feeling of like some of the like the beats felt a little choppy because it felt like very like we're jumping you know to like he finds the place he's training he gets you know like all this stuff and I was like why are we moving through these things so quickly. And then I, at the end, it's like, oh, okay, this is all just laying groundwork and getting me set up for what the actual crux of the narrative is going to be. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, in at least checking out the first issue and like seeing where it goes because you know it piqued my interest enough. Um, like if you're into like old school, you know, like classic kung fu movies, like it's got that flavor down. So. You know, I think um, if that's your bag, you could definitely get something out of this and like the art's solid and everything. But I think for what is supposed to be a prelude, it feels very much like a prelude. So I'm hoping that when we get into the meat of the actual narrative, it's a little bit more um, well paced. Cool. Uh, I didn't read the OGN. I just I've been looking for a way into Robert Kirkman for a long time. And every time I try, it's like, all right, that was cool. And then I don't read it anymore. And I don't know (laughs) why that is, but it happens with everything I've ever read from him. There's nothing that I'm pulling or that I've pulled for longer than 10 or so issues that he's done. Um, And so maybe this will be that. Based on what you just described, I am not hopeful. But we'll see. I'm going to give the first issue a, a chance. And I'll probably end up reading the the OGN just to read it since we got it from image. So yeah. Thanks to image for sending that our way. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, to kick off the news, we actually have to unfortunately report on another passing of a creator. Was it this me? time? Because I have to read this book. <laughs> no, Marco, Marco, no, stop it. Now's not even the time for that. Not the time. Uh, Joel Sinnott has died uh, at age 93. Uh, he is a, a mainstay inker at Marvel, uh, starting back in the 60s. Um, you know, one of the, the main inkers on books like Fantastic Four. Um, he, he died at 93 years old, which is, again, a, you know, I feel like I end up saying this a lot, but that's a full, long life. Uh, and you really can't ask for much more than that. Um, his family did uh, state on Facebook where they made a you know a, a bigger statement saying that he went peacefully. 
which again, surrounded presumably by family, um, that's that's beautiful. Uh, for a guy like that who worked in comics for so long to have been able to contribute to some of the biggest books and some of the properties that, you know, have stood the test of time, have gone on to, um, you know, have movies and things like that, uh, you know, Thor, the Avengers, um, that's, that's incredible. Uh, he worked up until last year, actually, um, on the Amazing Spider-Man comic strip uh, when he was 92 years old. So, to be able to contribute to what you love and to influence it for that long and see what you helped create, get onto the big screen, see kids that are, you know, a fraction of your age dressed as characters that you helped create the designs for, uh, that has to be amazing. And, you know, we talk about Stan Lee and we talk about Jack Kirby, but there are so many creators whose legacies are tied to these characters that don't necessarily get the same kind of recognition. And so, unfortunately, it's in death that we do honor uh, Joe here. But, again, a titan in the industry whose name should ring out the way that a lot of others do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will to echo a point you made earlier. Like, it's sad how often we do hear stories of people of, you know, of Joe's... Um, legacy who like aren't who you know didn't experience that same level of fame and and seemingly were not are 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 not as comfortable as he seemingly was you know like seeing that he you know lived to 93 and that up until 92 he was still working he in his family statement they say he was drawing right up until the end like you know as someone who's watched um you know my own family members like deal with things like dementia and stuff like that to be able to you know, have that kind of career and go out still contributing, still 100% there, like, with the love of family and friends and fans. It's like, who could ask for more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was also just reported just before we uh, started recording this morning that uh, Milton Glazer died. He, uh, he did most of the uh logos that you're familiar with the famous dc bullet logo i think i've seen this around he he designed wonder woman's comic emblem as well as the superman oh. title wow uh but it seems like he's most famous for the i heart uh, yeah I heart ny logo is what all the head oh really say. yeah <laughs> that's that yeah that's wow. crazy he was, uh he was 91 wow all right so, so. Double dose, unfortunately. Uh, but again, thankful for the fact that these are two people who got to live out a very fruitful life. Um, and uh, I I am thankful for their contributions to the things that I grew up loving and love to this day. So thank you for that. Now, speaking of things that we love and grew up loving, I think I can speak for most of us Maybe not Marco. Uh, when I say that Batman 89 and Batman Returns were a major part of our childhoods. Is that fair to say? Yes. No. Nah. I know that, Marco. Not for me either. Is that a no for you, <laughs> yeah, Phil? Yeah, I didn't care for them. Oh, okay. Oh, oh he's, a su- he's a Superman boy. Well, I, right, I, I right. like... All that darkness. I 
liked, ba- I liked Batman. I, I mean, like, I watched the animated series and stuff. I just didn't like those two movies. Mm. Okay. We're alone. Fine. You're, well, Mar- yeah, yeah Mar- I mean, Marco didn't even know about it. <laughs> this segment um, is for me and Sean and Kale then. Okay? That's cool. <laughs> Only. <laughs> no. Uh, well, of course, Michael Keaton portrayed Batman in those two movies. Uh, he would leave the role for uh, Batman, Batman and Robin. No, Batman Forever. Val right? Kilmer. Yeah, he. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Val Kilmer took over and did a an absolutely spectacular job in '95 alongside Joel Schumacher, who actually passed as well. Uh, we should also say rest in peace to him. Michael Keaton is back, maybe as Batman. Hype. Oh, is he replacing so, Robert Pattinson? <laughs> Just a revolving door at the DCF. <laughs> How'd you know? So, Michael Keaton is in talks, as they always say, to portray Bruce Wayne once again in the upcoming, maybe, Flash movie. I say maybe because this movie's been upcoming for like five years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and has been through the ringer with various directors and, you know, stops and starts. Uh, allegedly, it's coming out in 2021. Or, I'm sorry, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly production will start in 2021. Mm. Meaning that <laughs> the world could end before this movie comes out. <laughs> the way this year's going, probably it's Stuck will. in the speed exactly. force. So... On this very podcast, I think, I don't have the uh, episode or anything right in front of me, but I feel like we've conversed before about the possibility of the Flash movie reintroducing a person who's played Batman in the past to serve as, uh, to serve the role of Thomas Wayne in Flashpoint. You know how Tom in Flashpoint, Thomas Wayne, he becomes Batman. He's more violent, stuff like that. Yeah. Either that or we would see a Batman Beyond style where a prior uh, <sighs> Bruce Wayne would portray the role of an older Bruce who would become a mentor to a Terry McGinnis or something like that. That's what I really it, want. <laughs> it looks like that's exactly what they're doing. So this movie is going to be based on Flashpoint. That's what they've been talking about for years, that that's what the Flash movie would be. Uh, Flash is wanting to go back in time to prevent the death of his mother. We know that he has the ability to time travel based on the Justice League movie where he does that very thing. He goes back in time to warn Bruce Wayne about what would happen if Lois Lane were to die, uh, how Superman would change. So we know he has the power to do that, and it looks like they're going to leverage that with this Flashpoint movie to mess things up and Michael Keaton is going to be a part of that allegedly what do you guys think about that isn't um what's his name Jeffrey Dean Morgan isn't he already Thomas Wayne Jeffrey Dean Morgan did play Thomas Wayne yeah in uh, Batman vs Superman Michael Keaton isn't playing Thomas Wayne though he he would be playing Bruce Wayne the reason why I brought up yeah I, I, I brought up Thomas because of the not not necessarily because of uh, the character, but the way he was portraying Batman, I thought maybe right, they could... Right, right, right. Yeah. 
that's well that's yeah that's sort of connected to my question is oh. it would be wouldn't it be cooler to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan in that role as opposed to Michael Keaton I don't even rule out that that's possible like what if they do go down that road and we see mm-hmm. Michael Keaton portraying his Bruce and his Batman from mm-hmm. Batman Returns and then also Jeffrey Dean Morgan portraying the father of Bruce Wayne from another uh universe that could be cool yeah it'd be cool i i don't know why dc is so high on flashpoint and they seem like they've always been high on flashpoint i i never really thought that book was very good and i don't think critically it was particularly well received i think it was kind of mixed i know people really like the thomas and martha wayne stuff but as a whole i don't think people really cared for the event so i don't know why we're so married to this Blah concept. Well, if I feel like if people didn't care for it, we should probably switch from Onslaught to that, yeah? <laughs> no, Flashpoint was much better than <laughs> I, I feel like it's probably motivated by them wanting to reshuffle the cards. And I think that's the thing, is they, they've done it in the, the Flashverse, uh, the Arrowverse, um, as well. <clears throat> I think it's just a, it's a, it's an opportunity uh, to get a, a, a simple reset or a hard reset if they want one and that's what they've been gambling but on weren't they talking about doing this when they weren't talking about doing a soft reset of the DC cinematic universe so um and Sean you might be able to correct me on the timeline here but if memory serves I thought it was we didn't know about like the flashpoint of it all until after Batman v Superman had come out because I thought that that rumor started because of the Flash cameo in that movie. We didn't know about the the Flashpoint part of it until, at least my recollection, until Justice League sucked. Okay. So then, yeah. So I would say that, like, there was a Flash movie planned that long, Phil. But I don't know that we thought of it as a Flashpoint movie until I see. there had already been some failures. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I think now you think about like, okay, cool. The problem they have is there are pieces of what they have going on right now that work that they want to salvage, and there are things that they don't that they want to be able to throw away. So, like, how do you reset the deck with Gal Gadot and uh, Jason Momoa still playing their two characters that have been wildly successful? Maybe you keep Zachary Levi in there, and but you get rid of, you know are Superman and Batman for a younger Superman and Batman. That's not their plan. Well, I guess Henry so. Ca- well it is with Batman. Henry, well, Batman doesn't need Flashpoint because they're doing the Batman movie, which will absolutely release before Flashpoint. Um, but they could connect it with that. Like, they could backdoor him into... God, that sounds so awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's a good idea. <laughs> And Henry Cavill is definitely going to be Superman, yeah, as it stands now. So, all right. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm like disregarding all of the theoretical elements. I am excited about the idea of Michael Keaton coming back to do this, not because I think that it has tremendously great implications for the storytelling of the movie or what the DC film universe can be 
with Michael Keaton a part of it. I just think it's cool, and I just like Michael Keaton, and I love those movies. So, you know, the nostalgic part of me wants to see that. That being said, uh, we do have reports that suggest that he might actually stick around for a while and have more of a mentor role. That's what the Hollywood Reporter is saying. They're saying that he would appear in multiple movies. They include Batgirl in that, uh, which is interesting. I wonder if they might not go kind of take the threads of Batman Beyond, just the loose idea of Bruce Wayne as a mentor to a young person who wants to fight for justice and let that that person who he mentors be Batgirl. That could be cool. I think that's a really good idea, especially if it's it not Barbara Gordon. If it's like a just a, a a different person, maybe not a new, maybe not a new character, but not Barbara Gordon uh, in that role. Just because I don't know how much sense that would make. Um, but yeah, I would love Cassandra Kane. Sure. Or um, was it Stephanie Brown? Is that the other one? Stephanie like Brown. Five, spoiler. Right? Yeah, Pete, easy. That's a spoiler, dude. Not... Oh, God. Please tell me you're not serious. Okay. <laughs> really like a 10-year-old book, right? Like... No, no, no. no oh, Pete so Pete's yeah. the one that doesn't get it. Okay. No, I don't get it. She, yeah, I don't she, she, <laughs> I'm like totally lost right Spoiler now. is a character name. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love That's it. good. Marco's lost to look at his dumb face. He's like, what? I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know what's going on. I got lost after you guys started stopped talking about uh, Michael Keaton. Dude, that oh. went right over my head because as soon as you said spoiler, I was like, is that a spoiler? I was like, what? Is that? What? What? <laughs> Oh man. Marco's too busy yeah. checking his finances over how much it's gonna cost him to buy on slot. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cash in some stocks. <laughs> oh man. I, yeah, I, I like that idea. I'm I'm with you there, Sean, where I, I like Michael Keaton. You know, like he's he's a great actor. I have a soft spot for him as Batman. And you know, the idea of, of him playing like an older Bruce Wayne who gets to mentor a terrier a bat girl or whoever like yeah i've been into the idea of that movie hmm. you know since like i don't know the like early 2000s when people started saying how cool would it be if right like yeah let's do it man every time you guys have said michael keaton my brain has reset it to michael kane and so i'm just picturing michael kane as michael batman kane. oh i mean i watched that yeah too. you could do that <laughs> sure How's his American accent? <laughs> it's great, Master Pete. <laughs> That's all What's you got. What's the point of doing all those push-ups, Mr. McGinnis, if you can't even lift a joker? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that was good. Brilliant. <laughs> Wait, it would be the joker gag, don't forget. <laughs> True. Marco, you're not going to contribute a, a... Thanks, Pete. A Batman Birdman joke? You're you're not gonna. You got nothing. No, I did that last week. I I actually don't much care for the news. I'm just, I, it was. I'm like, all right. I saw this. I was like, okay. Great. No <laughs> no, no no attachment. <laughs> I saw him in Birdman. He said yeah. he said I don't much care for the news. I prefer him in Jack Frost. 
Oh my god! I recently saw that. Like maybe like like end of last year. For the first time? No, 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 no. Again. Okay. Um, and and I was like, wow. I remember this movie. I remember the the the, <laughs> the drummer friend. What? For whatever reason, he was. Dude, one I haven't of, watched was, Jack Frost in like fifteen years. I he was the other the actor. <laughs> he was the other actor that I that I remember out of the entirety of that movie. Great. That's it. I. Okay. Well, well at least we didn't say Beetlejuice <laughs> three times. Because if we uh, Beetlejuice, I love that movie. If we said it three times, Beetlejuice, that is, then something bad would have happened. Like what? Well, wait. What would we have to say? What would we have to say? Oh, we'd have to say Beetlejuice. Oh no! (laughs) Well, well, that's that's four times. So you you lost the joke. Awesome. And the bad thing already happened. Mark already asked. (laughs) 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 Mark has to take a second mortgage out on his house. (laughs) All right, all right, Marco. What would you What would you rather do? Would you rather watch the entirety of the Zack Snyder portion of the DCFU, including Suicide Squad, or read Onslaught? Don't give him an out. I guess I'd rather... I, 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 damn, I'd rather read it. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it's a good choice. It's a good choice. <laughs> I don't know that I could put myself through watching all those movies again. Yeah. Here's an addendum. Watch them all in one. So you have to marathon them. Oof. No. And you, have, and you have to. You have to fucking watch them too. No. You, and you have to give a book report. You have to like write. <laughs> Take notes. Like your phone is off. Actively, Citations. Yeah. Yep. Live well, tweet it. I guess he. I mean, he said he'd rather. He'd rather read. So all right. So, Enjoy, Sean I tr- guess. Sean tried a, yeah. to save your marriage, but you know we we've assigned we've assigned the punishment. I think it's oh well, it fits. You, you, the thing is that you guys are assuming that wasn't out. I was if he said he would rather watch the movies, I was going to say too bad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> crazy. I was giving you too much credit. <laughs> yeah, I'm a monster. Um. <laughs> all right, so moving right along, uh, we do have to talk about. Something that I feel like probably will not really get much attention, but is worth noting anyways. Um, James Killen is not a name that will ring out in the comics industry among fans and probably not among a lot of creators. But as it turns out, he is an unsung hero of the industry. James Killen is the individual who was responsible for expanding the graphic novel section at Barnes and Noble. He was employed for 41 years as the graphic novel buyer at Barnes and Noble. Uh, his job was to decide what the graphic novel section of Barnes and Noble would look like. You know, what books would be there, what books wouldn't be there, all that jazz. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, you had something to add, Kale, there? I was just gonna say that this dude then single-handedly is the reason I'm here. I picked Expand. up my first volume of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, Volume Three, at uh, Barnes and Noble. Wow, it was a big, big deal for me too. Um, <clears throat> I I've talked before about how I got back into comics, um, like seriously as a teenager when I uh, 
like was reading Ultimate Spider-Man, and like a lot of the stuff I read then was stuff I pirated off Demonoid. But when I started buying comics again, Barnes and Noble was the easiest place to get to. Um, so it was often a place where I'd pick up trades. I also uh, pretty much exclusively got comics from Barnes and Noble as a, as a good kid. I mean, I would go to comic book stores occasionally. There's one in South Jersey where I grew up called Tem D that I think is out of business that I would go to occasionally. But by and large, I would get most of my Marvel and DC content from Barnes and Noble. Encyclopedias, everything. Like, yeah, right. Like that kind of stuff for sure. And because it, it was always like going to the comic book store before I could drive or before I had friends who could drive who wanted to go was like, this is a specialty trip that I need to talk someone into taking me to. Whereas like Barnes and Noble is, oh, there's one near a bunch of other places you need to go. So if you're going there, take me and I'll pop over to the Barnes and Noble and read comics for two hours while you go do whatever the fuck you're doing, you know? Yeah. And, and none of that, or, you know, a lot less of that, I guess would have been happening without this guy, a, a long time lover of comics who, you know, his job was to get these books into those stores. And, uh, He's a, from what I can tell, a private person. His, his Facebook is private, um, and I I just think he deserves recognition for the job, the post he he served for uh, forty one years. I shudder to think what that section is going to be like now that um, there's not a a person in charge of it who's a lover of comics. From what I could uh, gather, they're just going to kind of. They're gonna. They're going to put. Uh, how do I put this? Um, people who's who aren't necessarily as big a fans of any particular thing in that role. Yeah. Uh, so they they also lost the science fiction person who's in charge of those books. Wow. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. They call um, them uh, specialty buyers. Yeah. 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 Uh, th- there were a few uh, that that were that were lost. So. Uh, it's an unfortunate reality for Barnes and Noble that they're struggling right now, and this is this is a result of that. Um, hopefully, he lands on his feet, and I hope that Barnes and Noble continues to serve as a place for people to buy comics because I think a lot of young people will get their comics from there, uh, similar to how Pete kind of outlined it. You know, Barnes and Noble is, a, is can be a family trip that can absolutely be far more than a, a comic book store because there's you know lots of reasons to be at a Barnes and Noble. Um, so hopefully they don't pull back on their uh, graphic novel offerings as a result of this. Sean, do you know if the YA graphic novel person had left as well? Because um, they, they are separate sections and uh, and that's been seeing like a lot of growth recently in the past few years. Yeah. But um, so I'm I'm just curious if if he if that person also got uh laid off or if maybe they might be able to do something where that person will pick up some of that slack ideally. So I wasn't I didn't see anything about that specific person uh being laid off. What I saw though that was interesting was that this guy actually um oversaw it all at first and then. They splintered off the young adults, kids, graphic novel section. Yeah. Because it was, you know, such a popular thing. They splintered it off, gave it its own section, its own buyer. I don't know how that's being affected. Hopefully not at all. 
Yeah, and to Marco's point, hopefully that person can take on some of this responsibility and at least they're someone who's, you know, like more knowledgeable than like a general book buyer, right? You'd hope. It, it does look, though, based on uh, what I have here, uh, that they're going to just centralize all the buying. And, I mean, it, it, it says uh, that it would be centralized into two roles. So, uh, this article from shelf-awareness.com. Yeah, that really sucks. Yeah. The category manager would be able to increase the level of stock made available to individual bookstores, but also make sure the merchandising matched the order levels. Yeah, because it's like, <clears throat> it's unfortunate, right? Because, like, obviously, Barnes & Noble and, like, you know, the concept of a bookstore, I think, in general, is is something that's tough. And even tougher right now, right? Um, but the less you have people in these kinds of roles, the less that service becomes valuable. Because, like, what is valuable about a Barnes and Noble is the curation. Um, and, like, I know <clears throat> when I was an older, more discerning comic reader, like, I didn't really buy comics at Barnes and Noble as much because I was going to shops, but. Like, whenever I was there, I would always go and check out and see, like, what do they have? And, like, what are the things that they're pushing right now? And, like, what are the POEs for people who are interested in comics? Like, if you come to this section. And I think the reason that you saw that section grow and why people looked at Barnes & Noble as a destination is because it was very well curated. It was usually not a huge section, but it's, like, two or three rows, and it's, like... 90% 90% books that are just fucking bangers, you know, and like from across the industry. So it's like having someone who doesn't have that same breadth of knowledge is like, I think something that could really actively hurt, you know, the the overall quality of those sections to begin with and will like de-incentivize people to even get stuff, not even just comics, but anything from them, you know, if there isn't that level of curation, if there isn't that experience of going to the store and like, you know, having something catch your eye. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, again, I really hope that this doesn't result in a negative change at at Barnes and Noble. Although I guess to be fair to Barnes and Noble, they have a lot bigger problems than just what is happening in their, in their uh, comic section. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, uh, last week we talked a lot. We talked at length about the uh, sexual misconduct allegations that had spread within the comics industry. And unfortunately, a lot more of that has come out this week. And we're, we're going to talk about it again. Um, I, I do want to. There, there, were, there were a lot. And I do want to limit it. Um, because we could honestly do an entire episode of this podcast just about what happened in the last week, uh, which is sad to say. It really is. Um, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna report on some of it, the stuff that I think is the most egregious, and also talk about the comics pledge, which has been on the minds of a lot of people, including me, and it's a hot button issue. So I'm gonna start with. Something that is just so, just so unbelievable to me, uh, and and I, it's a victory for the industry, but it's also shameful at the same time. 
if the name Scott Alley doesn't mean anything to you, then uh, you're about to learn why he's been talked about so much recently. In fact, we've talked about him on this podcast before because he's had so many allegations against him. This is one of the ones that I've known about for a long time, not because of any insider knowledge, just because it's been public knowledge for many, many, many years. Before we even started this show, I've known of Scott Alley allegations. Yeah, long before we even met. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, in 2020, he's being held accountable. Uh, So Shauna Gore took to Twitter to talk about what she experienced um, while she worked at Dark Horse uh, just throughout her career. Currently, she's a senior editor for Oni Press, and and that's her that's her job in comics. But she's been around for a long time, and she took to Twitter to uh, speak on her experiences with this man. Uh, she, it, you know, it's a long thing that she posted. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will read a, a bit of it. And I do want to say that um, it's it's not good. It's 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 rough. Um, so she says, Scott Alley sexually harassed me, sexually assaulted me, and retaliated against me, causing a negative impact on my career. All of these things happened over the course of 14 years. This is a pattern of chronic, escalating, unchecked abuse that was not related to his alcohol use. This was and is illegal behavior that he needs to be held accountable for. I want to stop to point out why she's mentioning alcohol, because Scott Alley used that excuse to explain a prior incident where he had been accused of uh, assaulting and groping a, a man at a at a bar, I believe it was a, a after a convention a few years back. So she she goes on to say, in 1999 in Chicago, Scott sexually assaulted me in the backseat of a minivan filled with our coworkers and colleagues as we drove to have a group work dinner after a long day on the convention floor. Scott was not drunk at the time of this assault, nor was he drunk on a number of other occasions when he groped and harassed me during my time at Dark Horse Comics. On this occasion, our convention crew met up in the hotel lobby shortly after the convention ended for the day to drive to dinner at a local at a, at a favorite Mexican restaurant. At, as the shortest person in our group, I offered to take the seat in the last row. Scott followed me. When I leaned forward to take my skeet, my seat, Scott slid his left hand into my uh, waistband and down into my underwear. For the next 10 to 15 minutes, I had to quietly physically wrestle against Scott to prevent him from forcibly penetrating me with his fingers. I'm going to stop reading there because that's awful. That is brutal. And that should be enough to give you an idea of what we're dealing with here. Um, And that should have been where this all ended. The fact that she has 14 more years of experiences with this person is absolutely disgusting. And he continued to do this again. Like I said, we are not uh, creators in the industry. We are not editors. We are not executives, right? Uh, We're fans who are adjacent to the industry and, you know, via this podcast and other things. And we all know about it. There are a lot of people who know about this 
as fans as well because of these reports that have been on your favorite comic book website. And this is something that has not been dealt with this entire time. And it took for this accounting from Shauna Gore to come out in 2020 during all the rest of these allegations for Dark Horse to finally do something about it. And they have now gotten rid of him. Uh, it, it, it's unbelievable. It, it, it's really, it's really awful um, that 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 this has taken so long. Uh, this is a, a statement from from Dark Horse. We believe Shauna Gore effective immediately dark horse comics will not be working with scott alley now or in the future we apologize to fans creators and employees for all the damage and hurt scott has caused it is critical that employees feel safe secure and supported in the workplace they should feel safe in making these inexcusable actions known without fear of reprisal dark horse comics will dedicate itself to ensuring that this will not ever happen again within our company mike mignola who of course, works closely with Dark Horse and has worked closely with Scott Alley over many, many, many years, said, I believe Shauna Gore. Given what I read today, I will be discontinuing working with Scott Alley. It's awful. It's 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 disgusting. You know, um, and it and it it speaks to the systemic problems in the industry when you have a guy who has this many allegations against him, and not only does Dark Horse continue to work with him, but a, a you know a titan in the industry, I, I think it's fair to say, like Mike Mignola, chooses him over and over and over again to work with. I think I think also it's it's that there, it it prevents these women from continuing in the in their career in comics comfortably and therefore lessens how lessens the the ability for some creators to be able to work with some of these uh some of these women because maybe they aren't necessarily at the like a necessary level to be working at like scott alley was a senior editor or whatever right but these these abuses and and the abuses like them in other companies provide that that ceiling then that force essentially forces women to not be able to to work in 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 the areas that they need to be that that they need to be better represented in and so it, 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 that's i think the other aspect to this is just be, because of people like Scott Alley it doesn't allow for the advancement of women in comics and especially in positions of influence in comics. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Like to the, the point that, um, that you made here, Sean, right. With like Shauna Gore, like she's, uh, an, she was an editor at dark horse at that time. Now she's like a senior editor and she had to put up with being harassed for like a decade plus, you know, to make it that far in right. the industry. Um, so how many women, you know, uh, had aspirations in the industry or had careers that were, you know, like shortened by this kind of harassment or by the repercussions that they faced for trying to address that harassment? 
um, which is the other angle of it, right? Which which is when you have somebody like Scott Alley in that kind of position who is an abuser, who has people above him protecting him um, and has the support of uh, a Mike Mignola, you know, as a, as a collaborator. I don't want to implicate Mike because, you know, Lord knows what their actual relationship is. But, like, to your point, like, that legitimizes this person more and more and it makes it harder to come forward and say something about them right and like that's what creates this cycle and i think to the point you made before sean yeah great it's it's great that dark horse is adopting this no tolerance policy now it's great that mike mignola is saying he's not going to work with him anymore but like it's hard for me as a pundit right like to not look at these people with suspicion of like, but how much did you know? And how much did you say this is okay? I, I got to stop you because Go I, I feel very comfortable implicating Mike McNull and I'll tell you why. Let's do it. <laughs> so Guy Davis, uh, who's a, the artist from BPRD, one of the artists said, uh, I believe Shauna Gore and everyone else who spoke out on Scott Alley back in 2015. Why did you continue to work with him, Mike? Dark Horse and Mignola knew of Scott Alley's harassment and toxic behavior, which was publicly reported and commented on by Dark Horse back in 2015, and both continued to work with him. Dark Horse cannot force an editor writer on a creator, let alone Mike. So why did they keep working with him? Uh, John Arcudi... Uh, who's worked with Mignola a lot, also says that he told Mike Mignola about this in 2017 and he continued to work with him anyway. So he knew. Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire also released a, a statement saying he wouldn't put out another, um, uh, 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 what's that franchise I like? Uh, Black, Black Hammer. Hammer. Uh, Black Hammer book with Scott Alley's name in it. Uh, and it's... To that same degree of like Mike Mignola's like, well, you knew about this. Everyone knew about this. Why did you keep doing it? Right. And and that's that's kind of like where I was ramping up to where it's like it feels like performative. It feels like yeah. this guy yep. is someone who these other creators, you know, either saw as a valuable enough creative partner that those, that those things didn't matter or as a friend – that they were willing to overlook what they were doing. And I think, um, Sean, you said it earlier, like it speaks to a systemic problem in the industry. It speaks to a systemic problem in our fucking society, man, where like guys do not hold uh, their friends accountable for the shit that they do uh, in situations like this sometimes, you know? And I, 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 I think – Probably everyone has been in a position like this at some time where you were friends with someone who did something shitty and, you know, like you have to make that judgment call about what you do with that information, right? And I think like to your point, Sean, like these are public allegations that have been known in the industry and publicly for like years and years and years and years and like you're doing something now amid a wave of other assault allegations amid a wave of what feels like a you know like a me too moment for for comics right now and i feel like that's you trying to get in front of it that's you trying to get in front of being critiqued 
for being associated with this person and for letting this person be a part of your brand. And, like, that feels fucking shitty. They're not even getting in front of it. This is happening because they got called out yet again. Yeah, 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 yeah fair point. Um, it's not – yeah, yeah, it's it's totally reactionary to this latest thread, right? Like, if, if – like, like, let's ask that question, right? Like, if Shauna doesn't tweet all this out, does, does Scott still have a job? Probably. He flies under the radar yet again. Yeah. You have to imagine. And go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's, uh, we should go as far as Mike Richardson, the, the, uh, who is he? The, the publisher, fucking, I believe. Is he the publisher? I, he should go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, dude. His statement, like, rings so fucking hollow for me. Where, uh, PR fucking garbage. Yeah, he says, I believe Shauna Gore. I want to sincerely apologize to Shauna, to all my employees. I'm decent deeply sorry for decisions I have made that have allowed so much hurt, blah, 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 blah. The information that Shauna came forward with was unknown to me before now. Her post was a painful eye-opener for me. I do not believe you. Sorry. Maybe maybe in that, that instance, but I think his history should have spoken enough that action should have been warranted. Yeah, like you shouldn't have had to have heard what Sean had read to us earlier to have like an idea of what this guy was doing. Right. Well, and 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 to Sean's uh, earlier point, this isn't the first time. There was yeah, a whole exactly. uh, when I got into the industry, there was a whole uh, uh, scandal with um, um, Janelle Aslan, who was a um, uh, an editor at Dark Horse, and she left comics because she was harassed and assaulted by Scott Out, and it was very public. Well, and like Sean just said, there was the story of the the guy yep. he grew up at the party or whatever too. Like it's like there's so many stories from multiple different C- people. C- comics, like, it's it, it, they're just an old boys club at the end of the day, just like so many other things in life. And when you have one guy that's a part of the old boys club who does things like this, people just tend to look the other way. Like it's not even you know they're they're complicit in their just ignoring of a serious problem, but like. That's just like been the attitude of a man who is, uh, you know, at best sexually inappropriate and at worst a, a outright predator for for forever. You just turn the other way. Yeah, and and I also want to point out I don't have it right in front of me, but I I know that what I'm saying is accurate. Dark Horse. In uh, I want to say 2005, made a they did a profile on Scott Alley, and in the profile they were listing like things that he's known for or words you would associate with him. Uh, and one of the things that it said was uh, known to be a biter, known to be a bit of a biter, something along those lines. I remember that. Which is what one of that's one of the things that he was accused of doing in 2015. So that again, that's a long time ago. What I just said, and it, and and in 2015 he was accused of it. So they're referencing something in 2005 that he would do again in 2015, which means that in 2005 he was already known for that. What are we doing? You know, that's that's outrageous. But. Uh, he wasn't the only person called out from Dark Horse. Uh, Brendan Wright was also 
called out. He is a comics editor and was accused of stalking and uh, sexual harassment as well by uh, Becca Caden. So, um, this one, I'm not going to read the entire allegation. Uh, It's just amazing to me because he went on Twitter and called out Cameron Stewart and Scott Alley. And so that prompted Becca to blast him because it's like, wait a second, you're calling out these people, but look at what you do. Yeah, so he put out a statement apologizing. I honestly don't even care to read it. Um, it's not, he's not defending himself. He's just apologizing for it. So it's there's no other side of the story to report. Um, I'm sick and exhausted by these apologies and, and things, you know. Dude, yeah. His apology, his apology was fine, but it, you're showing yourself by apologizing after you try to judge other people for the same kinds of activity that you just engaged in. So for me, the apology holds no weight for other people. Maybe it does, but that's where I feel. Um, I'm I'm with you, dude. And just in general, like I'm like, I I, sure it's, it's important for there to be room for, um, for, for forgiveness and stuff like that in these scenarios. And like, I, I, right. Like not every, instances equal whatever but like i'm so fucking sick of hearing apologies you know i'm so fucking like burnt out on it of just like listening to the same like this was a shock to me and i didn't know i did this and it's like it's so just like just fucking be better man like why why is this why is this a thing that is just so fucking pervasive ugh there, there were, uh, like I said, quite a few other allegations. And I'm going to just list off the names. Like I said, we cannot afford to go into every single one of these today. Um, Jason Latour, who co-created Spider-Gwen, um, was accused by Lauren Tracy uh, and, and others. There, there were a few others. He did apologize uh, in his tweets, but then deleted these tweets um, Robbie Rodriguez was also accused, uh, who is the other co-creator of Spider-Gwen. Great. Yep. Love yep. it. Love it. So that's that's fantastic. Um, uh, Mike Cole from Vault Comics, he was accused uh, and it actually admitted to inappropriate behavior. So there's that. And also... Um, Kelly Fitzpatrick, who is a a colorist on Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed, uh, she put out a statement accusing Nika Harper, uh, who actually is a woman, which I think is important to point out, uh, of sexually assaulting her. And Harper did admit to it and did apologize as well. So that's a lot. That's a lot of names. It's a lot of people. And that's just what I have in front of me. So we have a lot to work on. We have a lot to do. Um, We also have to talk about Charles Brownstein because Charles Brownstein actually holds a really important position or did in this industry. Uh, He was a part of the comic book legal defense fund. 
Uh, he was the executive director. And uh, from what I can ascertain, he has done a lot of bad stuff. Um, he actually put out a statement in 2006 in which he talked about an incident with a woman named Taki. Um, they, Taki Soma. Ta- yeah, Taki Soma. Yes, thank That's, you. That's uh, Mike. Uh, not that she doesn't have her own career, obviously, but uh, I don't know what else she does. She is a, a Mike Michael Van Omings. Partner. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Michael Avon Omings. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Um, well, he put out a statement as far back as 2006 commenting on the incident in question. Not going to read the statement. He did. Def- he didn't really defend himself. He admitted to what he had done, which was essentially just he, he had lifted up her, her shirt in a hot tub jacuzzi type of thing. Just, you know, not not good behavior. Um, this all came up again, of course, because of what's going on in the industry right now. Uh, he says it was what he what he did was just a stupid drunken prank. Um, and now several creators came out and said that they would not support the CBLDF as long as Brownstein was at the head of it. Um, creators such as James Tinian, uh, Kurt Busiek, um, so so many. Um, there's uh, the names are escaping me, but there were many, many, many names. Uh, they were recalling this situation and saying, "Wait a second, why is this guy still in this position?" Um, he they also uh, supported Milo Yanapolis, Yanapolis, something. shit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they they supported him as well, which is yeah, very very strange. That like really was upsetting to me because like obviously uh, him being in this position, being a known abuser, is fucking bullshit. Like that aside, um, but to like look at the comic book league defense fund, which is like something that you know I think a lot of people in the the industry would look at as being like you know like an overtly positive thing. Right. To find out that like funds were being like misappropriated to support someone who spews fucking hate speech. Um, He's like a Nazi, basically. When, yeah, right. Like when when you're when th- they're raising money under the guise of using it to help creators is like, oh, my God, like what a fucking sting. Right. Like anyone who put effort towards raising money or donating or anything like to figure out where that money was going versus where you thought it was going. Um, while you have this fucking revolting dude uh, in in such a significant position is like it stings, you know, like it feels if it really like you feel burned. So Cheyenne Allett worked for the Comic Book League Defense Fund, and she actually left. Uh, and when she left, she left in 2010. Uh, she was forced to sign an NDA. Um, be, she she left because of the conditions of, of her employment. She said it was dangerous. She said, due to the unacceptable and dangerous conditions of my employment and after numerous complaints to the board, I quit after six months. As a condition of my departure, I signed a non-disclosure agreement. I was told it was either that or I pay back my relocation fee, which was impossible for me at the time. 
I would like to be legally released from the conditions of my NDA since the executive director has been found to act unlawfully and unacceptably in matters such as these. This is an opportunity for you to take a step towards the transparency you are working hard to establish. I suggest you take it. Attached is my NDA for your review. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, so she was actually granted that release from NDA, which oh, is really? great. Yeah. Um, that's very, very good for her. And the CBLDF is attempting to whole change everything about, you know, how they're, you know, their um, the way they handle situations like these and they want to change their environment because apparently their environment sucks. So all of that is positive. That's fine. But it took comic book creators saying we will no longer support you in order for them to move on this situation. You know, and it's another example of some dude getting away with a lot of crap and it takes so much pressure to get them to change. You know, if this guy was able to put out a statement in 2006 and then be absolved of his wrongdoing, it took 14 years for this woman to get, you know, listen to justice, if you will. And he said some it, semblance, semblance of it, right? Yeah. 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 And and a lot of times on this show, I'm the one I'm the one who says, and I might later be the one who says, hey, people deserve an opportunity to right their wrongs and to be a better person. And that doesn't have to always mean the end of their career, whatever that might be, and things like that. Um, and I stand by that feeling because I don't think that uh, one size fits all. But when you have a guy who is consistently like he's the head of this, right? So if people are saying that the environment is bad, the workplace environment is bad, and he has this type of allegation, maybe he shouldn't be in charge of other people. Maybe he needs to take a step back. Maybe he needs to go away, figure himself out, and just be a worker bee somewhere and not have power over people because he abuses it. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. And and also, like, I, I think that um, – I think an important – note in that kind of conversation right is like i think there's a difference between like making amends and being forgiven right and like if you do something that wrong it should be your goal to make amends without the expectation of being forgiven you know because if you do fuck up bad enough it's okay for an industry or a person or whoever to say okay great thanks for the apology you still don't get your seat back at the table Right. And like, that's sometimes where it needs to go to is that like in a pot, like, I do think that you're right. One size doesn't fit all. And there are a lot of cases where like, like, I'm sure I'm sure every one of us can think of a situation where we said or done something that we wouldn't do now. Right. And not maybe not on that level. Right. That's not what I'm saying anyway. Um, but like people make mistakes. And I think that depending on the degree of that mistake, it's it, you. There is room for like owning your shit and you know, um, and moving on from it. But like in this example, and in so many of the examples that we see um, when when assault allegations like this come out, or in in these last two cases, allegations that are confirmed to be true, and like we know. So often there's an apology 
and then nothing. Yeah, it's right. It's different. These are criminal allegations, and if they are true, you're yeah. not entitled to have a position of power. It just means you're not going right. to court and you're not going to jail because you can't be proven guilty, right? And that's that's fine, and, and that's a that's a that's a benchmark of our legal system that's been abused by other people. But I think it's important to adhere to like the innocent until proven guilty aspect of criminal law in the United States. But the difference here is that that doesn't entitle you an important job with this, with with like a comic book company or whatever. And I think the point you just made, Phil, uh, about these being criminal acts is the important difference. So we talked last week about Warren Ellis, right? And, in that case, I said, you know, what is the, how are we as the people dealing with the knowledge of, of you know, improper conduct in a case where there were no allegations of assault, there were no allegations of abuse. He was talking to a lot of girls at once and they were feeling used by that. That is, in my opinion, a world of difference between a guy, you know, putting his hands down a girl's pants or a guy lifting a girl's top in a jacuzzi. Those are things that are that you could go to jail for. And those are things that arguably they should have gone to jail for. And it's sad that they didn't. And so if the only justice or the only thing that they have to face is losing their jobs, Scott Alley is a criminal. I, I, I mean, I, you know, yep. that's a hard thing to say. You're right. That is a fact. Like, that's criminal activity. I, I mean, not yeah. maybe not, he hasn't been charged, but those are criminal acts. That's a sex crime. Yep. So he's being accused by many people of doing things that would label him as like a sexual predator. Right. So if the worst thing that happens to him is that he loses his job and he has to go get another one, probably in another industry. That's pretty damn fortunate for him. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Too good for him. Yep. Way too fucking good. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like if if he wasn't if he wasn't who he is, he would be in jail. Right. If he didn't have people defending him, if he wasn't you know uh, a, an older established white dude, like maybe. Yeah. He'd maybe be in jail. our court maybe system isn't jail. great with fucking people accused of sexual assault. That's true too. He also. <laughs> You know, there weren't police involved. You know, people are staying quiet for their own reasons, and I'm not judging them for that. But, you know, this is – let's get on to the comics pledge because I have something to say, but it it ties into the comics pledge. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's part of this whole fucking thing, right? So the comics pledge is – and I've looked and I – you know, it's it's amazing that this exists. Uh, It was created – by uh, Cami Garcia, Gwenda Bond, and and a few other people. Um, hashtag comics comics pledge. You go on Twitter and, and, and type that in. You will see you will see this. Um, and basically, what it says, I'll, I'll just read it out. There are a lot of ideals we claim to honor in comics: hope, justice, unity, innovation, creativity, freedom. None of them mean anything unless men in comics change our behavior and hold each other accountable for the safety of women and all people of marginalized genders and sexes. I pledge to never abuse, harass, groom, or manipulate women and all people of marginalized genders and sexes. 
To hold myself accountable for my own actions, be open to the comments and concerns of my peers, and educate myself. To actively intervene when we see or know of abuse, harassment, grooming, or manipulation. To ally for women and all people of marginalized genders and sexes experiencing abuse, harassment, grooming, or manipulation. To actively call out our friends and peers even when no one else is watching. To commit to this pledge for the long haul and keep this conversation alive in the industry. Uh, there's an asterisk in, in, describing what uh, marginalized genders and sexes means. We understand marginalized ge- genders and sexes to include but not be limited to non-binary and binary trans people, to spirit, agender, and gender fluid people, as well as intersex people of any gender. Hashtag comics pledge. That's the comics pledge. I, I, I'm struggling to say this. But I, I, I feel like, you know, this platform is, is where we come to be honest. I think it's I, 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 I get the spirit of it and I think it's well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. I think it's a joke. It, I feel like we, we had a little bit of back and forth on this on the discord. And I feel like this is for the people who, who posted and specifically the men, it's like virtue signaling to some extent it's like they're they're making a statement about base expectations of behavior and i think that that's i i I don't know why you need to pledge to not do what is expected of you it it, i saw it and i immediately rolled my eyes just because like you shouldn't be doing these things period and to to call it out i i understand that it's in order to address it and let it be known that these are things that happen in the industry but i feel like this in particular and taking a pledge to not do these things isn't even a starting place because it's elevating you to where you should have already have been and you should be. I, I think um, I saw a retweet of of one of Scott Snyder's tweets where he. I have it here. Yeah, where where he ended up uh, pledging, and then uh, in particular Alex the Campy saying, you know, this is cute, but one, we don't believe you, and two, it goes way beyond this to things like speaking up and using your privilege to push change when you see that nobody of marginalized backgrounds are being hired as creators by a particular office. Or they're only given token books, and I, I think, I think that, to DeCampi's point, is the starting place. Fucking, I was so disappointed to see Scott Snyder retweet this because fucking Berganza was on DC Metal. Yeah, and I know the Berganza stuff happened well before Metal, so where the fuck is Scott Snyder? Uh, elaborate on that, Kale. I. What like Berganzo stuff? Like on yeah. what happened with Berganzo? Yeah. Oh, he's a he's a. I mean, on the level of Scott Alley, he he's a well known uh, sexual predator at DC. That uh, if I if if I recall correctly, the 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 DC brass would um, uh, shutter him away from women because he he doesn't play nice and and he was just protected there on Superman and Batman titles up until uh, fairly recently, apparently, 
at least 2018. We yeah. talked about yeah. it on the show. But so. it's worth reiterating for people that maybe don't know. I was oh, saying yeah, that yeah, to yeah, say sure. that yeah, it okay. happened within yeah. the frame of the, you know, the show existing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a double-edged sword. And I feel like both both of the sides of the argument regarding the comics pledge are wrong, quite frankly. Because the comics pledge, I just told you that it was created in part by women, right? I'm very surprised by that. And I saw personally on my timeline women in comics saying things such as, I'm paying very close attention to see who shares this and who doesn't. I better yeah. see all of the people that I know sharing this. So the, I've also seen what Alex DeCampi said, which is this is, yep. you know, uh, this is a farce. This is, you know, this is we don't believe you, uh, things like that. So at, then in that case, right, as a man in comics who wants to do the right thing, right, and wants to show that they are. Uh, trying to help what are you supposed to do when half of the people are telling you that if you share this you're an idiot and the other half is telling you that if you don't share this you are in league with predators and you know people who are harmful to this industry i i, pete, I think it's like uh, pete, sorry just quickly uh for anybody yeah. who wants to follow up for more information on eddie break of stuff we actually covered the hit piece from buzzfeed back in 2017 episode 55 uh, a lot of detail there and definitely go check that episode out we also did a follow-up episode 171 with a, a new publisher that they were putting together so again just more detail fuck that's right yeah sorry, eric sorry, pete. Escobar. and eric escobar as well yeah sorry pete no no you're fine um i i think uh i i think that what you do as a man in comics with this situation is like you just listen yes exactly right? shut the and fuck right. up and listen. Yeah. yeah and like if you saw this and it resonated with you and you shared it because you believe that you want to uphold those values um i don't think you need to be embarrassed by that right like i think that that's these are values worth committing to um and to sean's point i think that like the intention behind this is good um I agree with you that it feels a little – I'm of two minds with it because I, I can see the argument of it being a performative action where that retweeting this or, or whatever, like lending your voice to this this movement or whatever you want to call it, right, is not actually tangibly doing anything, right? Like all you're doing is sharing something and, you know, to Marco's point, potentially virtue signaling, potentially trying to – position yourself as one of the good guys or whatever like there, there's a fair argument to be made there particularly uh in like that example with scott snyder where like you're someone who is also working with someone who's been accused of of the kind of stuff that you're um supposedly taking a stand against right fair play i think in the same breath there's also an argument to be made that saying that those things is is taking a stand right like like making the retweet or whatever is something that uh, a certain percentage of your followers are going to look at and roll their eyes and you know have a reaction to and like you know uh the hope is that if you're someone who looks at that and is like oh why are you saying all those things it's not a problem that like if it's a creator that you admire that that raises that question in yourself of why do i have this reaction to this thing and what if they support that maybe you know and like 
I, I get the intention, and I I think it's a good one, but I I think it's it's not enough to just retweet something. Like you need to put your money where your yeah. mouth is, and like your actions need to speak to those. It values. feels hollow. It it feels it, performative is a good way to put it. It reminds me of when Democratic Congress people kneeled with Kenta uh, cloth scarves on the floor of Capitol Hill. And it reminds sure. me of the meme from Get Out where the dad said he would have posted two black squares on Instagram if he could have to support Black Lives Matter. Purely just like performative things that don't actually mean anything. Um, it's just it's this noise when when what needs to happen isn't just saying like, ah, oh, yes, I'll be a better ally or whatever. Like actually, walking the walk and talking the talk is like like just be better. But but here's the thing though. So okay, so Scott Snyder shares this. He gets you know ripped a new one for doing that, and you know all right, fine. Scott Snyder probably can't force change at DC Comics. Scott Snyder can say, hey, I don't want Eddie Berganza part of anything that I do because of X, Y, and Z. And that would probably at least get him taken off of, you know, metal. I don't know. But he'll be on another book. I I don't know. Scott Snyder is pretty powerful at this point as far as writers go. I think if he said, I don't want him on my book, DC would acquiesce because at this point, Scott Snyder is arguably like the second most powerful creative in DC Comics. Well, that's what I just said. I said that oh, I misunderstood. He could get off. He could get off the book. Oh, Maybe he doesn't oh, work on metal. I think Snyder would be taken off metal. I misunderstood. Yeah, and Eddie will just get shifted somewhere else. And so the problem is that look, I think these people need to go to jail. Okay, this is not the kind of issue that you're going to resolve by retweeting. It's not the kind of issue that's going to be resolved by Scott Snyder telling the head of DC he doesn't want to work with Eddie Braganza. They've shown time and time again these people will be protected. Dark Horse protected Scott Alley. Uh, The Comic Book League did not remove what's-his-name. These people committed criminal acts. They have to go to jail. You can't root this kind of thing out this way because of the fact that people who are inclined to do bad will do bad anyway they will do bad anyway and so no let me finish someone like scott alley who's been doing this for 19 years 19 years how many people have been harmed in that time frame how many people is that eddie Berganza? how many people have been hurt in that time frame That's a lot of people whose lives are altered because of a person's decisions. And when you remove a Scott Alley, at some point, there will be another one and another one after that. Do you know why? Because he did it for decades and got away with it. So what is the what is the real consequence for someone like that? Nothing. He got fired. Wow. He lived his dream for the majority of his life thus far and he got to do what he wanted to do with the men and women that he wanted to do it with when he felt like he wanted to harm people it's 
wrong and it's not enough to retweet and it's not enough quite frankly to allege what someone did on twitter twitter is not the place where you get justice it's not and i'm not attacking anyone who's made these allegations on twitter because i get it but at the same time these people will continue to do this it's not going away there will be 50 jason latours there will be it's a reality of life it's not enough to say hey men you got to stop being bad that's not going to get it done it's the truth no you're you're definitely right <clears throat> i i think the to bring it back to this the scott snyder analogy though i think like the the thing that i i look at in the in this pledge right of like what sticks out to me as having truth in it is that you're right that the the real solution is that like these people who are sexual predators who are committing sexual crimes deserve to be in jail and to a point that was made earlier right like a lot of times victims of sexual crimes do not get justice in this country so i think that's a huge reason why people don't come forward and the only way to change that is to like change the culture is to change the attitude and that like does start with us right and like holding other men accountable and thinking about times when you know um like you've seen something like that or been complicit in something like that and not done anything you know because you're right like we're not going to solve the problem today it's not going to be solved with a retweet and you know um it needs to be more than that and it needs to be a way like a, a changing in the way that we think you know and that like the we the collective we as a culture you know and like the way that we um raise you know young boys too i think uh because like we have a society where like we don't we don't hold men accountable for their actions as much as we should you know and particularly in this department you know like we allow women to suffer in silence um and when they do speak out they're attacked so it's like you know it's it's obviously not a problem we're going to solve today um but it's you know it's definitely something that like i just hope that that all of these all of these revelations of how much shit we've allowed to just sit under the surface and and uh, fly under the radar, like starts more and more conversations that make it so that we don't let people like that into a position of power where they can use that to abuse people with impunity. Uh, um, that's what's going to make a difference. To to your point on on it affecting the culture, I think something in the short term that could be done that, uh, for example, Scott Snyder could have done continuing to use that example. Uh, I have a tweet from, in response to Scott Snyder's tweeting of it from Colin, from Space Twinks, uh, this handle, and it's, hey, you know your editor-in-chief, Bob Harris, protected Eddie Briganza for years and also still protects Scott Lobdell. You're going to speak out about either that or not, Scott. If you're truly committed to this pledge, all the chunks particularly necessitate that you must denounce your editor-in-chief Bob Harris for his protection of sexual harassers and then the person continues to go on to screenshot the five points specifically that are 
are actions, right? The to your point, Sean, the tweet isn't an action. It's the the pledge that you then therefore have to abide by and commit to actually working on any one of these points. And and if one of those being Again, sticking with that Berganza example, to actively intervene when we see or know of abuse, harassment, grooming, or manipulation. That that's where the that's where the conversation needs to start. Okay, and then what happens when Scott Snyder doesn't do that? Fuck Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder's books will continue to sell fantastically. Scott Snyder's life will not Scott change. Scott Snyder's not a predator, though. Okay. Like, yeah, he doesn't call somebody out. They, he's shitty. Fuck him. But he's not a predator. He's not. But as what I'm saying is... All right, let's not, let's not get into all that. That's beyond the pale. If, if we're talking about Scott Snyder and the Scott Snyders of comics who, you know, don't do enough, who took this pledge but aren't going to call out, you know their their leadership for whatever reason uh so when he doesn't do that then what's the next move because like you just said the onus is on the creators who who are in positions of power to do better but what if they don't how what i'm saying is no i understand how yeah I, I guess the most you can do at that point is to just continue to confront them with those issues like to to the point where they not that they will con- will actually do that, but if if we're saying that okay, they're going to continue to sell and that we're gonna it's going to continue to do well, I don't think I, I think it's cynical to then say okay, and that's just how it's going to continue without us being actively involved in saying that maybe we won't continue to let that drop. I think that when you are dealing with the same thing. For decades, cynicism is what happens, and yeah. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's strange at all. I wouldn't I wouldn't um, be surprised if there were plenty of women in comics who are cynical because they've been through this or they've dealt with it or they know someone who's dealt with it, etc., etc., etc. What I'm saying is that all of the ways that we want to hold these people accountable aren't effective so uh (laughs) so what are you proposing like i mean like yeah you're right but if i'm if i'm right then that's all there is to it It, it's a it's a problem that we are applying solutions to that don't work and have never worked the way to get rid of a scott alley is for him to go to jail. Well, but I I do think that I do think that there's like a shift happening though, right? Because what used to happen is that he could make or not Scott Alley in this situation, but like Charles Brownstein, right? Could like make a public statement and no one cares and he just keeps the job, right? And like now these people are losing their jobs. And I agree with you, that's not enough. They should be in fucking jail. Um but, I mean, like, they didn't used to lose their jobs, right? Like, at least we're having that dialogue now. And I'm not saying it's enough, but, like, the needles moved a little bit. And I guess it's just a matter of, like, not letting it drop and not letting it be a thing that we cared about on Twitter for a week, right? But, like, to your point, there's no way to hold people accountable other than holding them accountable. 
Yeah, I mean, Scott Alley put out a statement about his drinking and his problems when this whole thing went down uh, five years ago, whatever that was. And yeah. he just said he was going to stop drinking and go to therapy. And he kept his job. Yeah. But that was five years ago. You know, and like a lot has happened in those five years. Um, so, you know, I don't know. <sighs> if we If we ever got an interview with Scott Snyder... I think would it make sense to posit the question? No. Why not though? If 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 we're no. if we want to also engage in well, that, well, because that's because that's a a personal choice, right? So but why, okay, why can't we so as a you're you're do in that? Scott Snyder's position? You're in Scott Snyder's position, and somebody interviews you in a professional capacity, and and says, "Oh, why didn't you?" Uh, ever stand up to the DC brass and get Eddie Bergonza fired? Why are you a coward? Like how would no, that there's make a professional you feel way to ask that. Professional sense, Phil, you're muted. <laughs> <laughs> the, journal, the journalist who was about to weigh in on journalism. There was a <laughs> saw going off in my background. I'm sorry, I forgot to unmute it. Um, no, there is a way to ask that question to Scott Snyder without it, you know, putting an egg on his face. The question is, what is your role? What is your responsibility uh, in an industry? You know, full of allegations of, of 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 sexual assault. As as someone who potentially witnesses this, what in your mind? What's your role in all this? There's a way to ask him this question without it being extremely confrontational. Yeah, without like trying to be like a gotcha moment where it's like, let me catch him with his pants down and make him look like an asshole. You know, um, there's totally a way to engage with that that issue. I think. And and again, it's like, okay, so then what? You know, then we right lose our relationship with Scott Snyder because that would never he would never speak to us again, right? And we accomplished nothing. And for yeah, for what? Like we don't. We're not names. We're not anything. We're I mean, related to comic books because we talk about comic books, but like. What are we? But if we want that change, and we were talking about needing it to be actionable in the culture, and us, us attempting to provide that change by positing the question, being the media outlet, whatever size that we are, is that not something that we should be doing? Uh, I can answer the question for for myself in my own mind, and the answer that I come up with is that Scott Snyder is not an abuser, and he's not a perpetuator of abuse culture uh, in any way that I'm aware of. And like I said, in my opinion, right, the way that he was called out for sharing the pledge, which in his mind is an honest presumably right an honest attempt at saying hey i stand with these people right taking him to task for doing what other people right who are included in the group that are being marginalized and being abused that what's that they're saying this is what you need to do to then attack him for doing what he was told he needed to do to me, I, 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 that falls on deaf ears, and I don't, I don't stand by that. Um, I stand by if I had Scott Alley in front of me, 
You punch him in the mouth. What? Uh, kick him in the testicles. Let's let's not let's not do that. <laughs> let's not let's not in- implicate us in any crimes that we may or karate may not chop him in the, in the spleen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're the dark comics pals. This episode, we're gonna do a lot worse than karate chop You're a man right. in the nuts. Cut off his head. <laughs> to, to me, uh, intent does matter, and I believe Scott Snyder intended well and to sean's point people were telling him this is the correct thing to do and he thought he was doing the right thing and i I do believe that in all things social justice people's intent does matter because i think when someone intends to do well to do something they think will positively impact a community of people and even if it falls short i think the effort matters and and it that should be always considered. Yeah. And and I I like, I respect Scott for doing it and trying to make a statement rather than saying nothing. Right. Like whether or not it's a solution or whether or not it was the best solution. Um, I do think that like, if that's all you're doing to just be like, let me hide out under the, you know, the ally moniker, then like, yeah, fuck you. But, you know, um, the example of of him doing something wrong was also a few years ago. And, like, he could realize now that that was an opportunity he had to have done the right thing where he failed. And maybe this is that moment for him, right? And, like, everyone has that moment too, right? Where you realize, I could be doing better. Or, like, I've made mistakes, you know? So uh, I think on some level you have to, like, give people the benefit of the doubt and be skeptical of people like we were earlier in examples with, like, you know, Mike Mignola where it's like, hey, like, that feels like you're being pretty complicit in something. And, you know, um, we got to watch actions from now. And, like, what do they do to uh, own the mistakes they've made in the past? So, ultimately, I I do want to say we are five guys, right? Uh, And... The conversation about this does not end with us. Uh, it doesn't even start with us. We're just contributing our voices to something that is important to talk about, which is why we're talking about it now. And obviously, we don't all agree on the way forward, even amongst the five of us, let alone uh, the entirety of the comics community or the world at large that is dealing with this issue. I mean, all across America, every industry, you're hearing about this. And it's important to talk about it, and I think it's important to try to come up with solutions and find ways to forge a better path forward so that everybody can partake in these things that we love um, equally. Because I love comics, and there's no one that I can think of that I don't want to be able to enjoy what I enjoy if it's for them too, and comics are for everyone. So that can't be true. If there are people who can't take a seat at the table without fear of being mistreated in any way uh, for things that, you know, they can't control. Uh, No woman should ever, no person, I'm sorry, no, no individual should ever feel threatened or scared or like they can't be in a space because... You know, they might get assaulted or something like that. 
And that's that is something that should cause us all to want to react and do something if we are able. So do with that what you will. Hopefully we're all being good to each other. Listeners of this podcast are being good to each other. We on this podcast are being good to each other. And we can be a part of making every space that we are in better for everyone who is in it with us. That is, I think, uh, if everyone did that, if everyone made that choice, then the world would be a perfect one, wouldn't it? And and I do want to say that, you know, if you're someone who listens to this show and you love comics and you want people to talk to comics about and you have been afraid to to reach out or join communities or anything like that, like ours is a safe one for you, um, no, no matter who you are, as long as you're not a hater, as long as you're not a bigot, like you're welcome – um, at our table so you know i hope you'll come and uh and be a part of it and you know um yeah and like have a place where you feel like you can be a part of that dialogue so we're gonna take a a, a, a breath and <laughs> and we're gonna actually review empire number zero the latest marvel event will it be good or Will it be something that we should make Marco read <laughs> in a couple of years? How bad is this first issue that we preemptively are like, all right, we're going to wait until this is over and make Marco read this inside. <laughs> Ready to talk comics now? Um, sure. Let's, let's do it. What have we been doing? <laughs> Not talking about comics. Uh, so... We have Empire number zero in front of us. This, of course, coming from Al Ewing writing it uh, with art by Pepe Larraz, a favorite at the Comics Palace. Another favorite at the Comics Palace is Marta Gracia, who did the color art. Uh, We've got letters from uh, Joe Caramagna, who does so many books that I love. Um, And it wouldn't be a Marvel event without a Jim Chung cover. That's true. That is honestly that is honestly true. Like every Marvel event has a as a Jim Chung cover, and I love it. Yep. So, uh, for those of you who are unaware of what Empire is going to be, uh, it is an event where the Kree and Skrull, who are known more for warring against each other than pretty much anything else, are going to be teaming up uh, under the leadership of Hulkling to wage war against the Avengers. And this zero issue is sort of a prologue. I think in prior years, this wouldn't have been a zero issue. It would have just been like, you know, uh, Empire, the road to Empire or something like that. Or Empire Battle Lines or something ridiculous. Um, instead, we get this zero issue that starts with or starts with and features throughout a inner monologue from Tony Stark who kind of is the the POV, if you will, for this issue where the Avengers go to the moon that has a forest on it. You know how the moon is. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the moon. moon. <laughs> I think my favorite part was they're like, there's a forest, but it used to be a city. And I'm like, that makes even less sense. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, aliens, aliens dog. Pete, come on. Sure. Also, I saw Star Wars. Endor is a moon. It's a forest. It makes sense. 
It's a whole that's forest. A, that's a good point. I forgot about Endor. Yeah. There's precedent. Little fucking well, bears and saying, everything. I'm not saying that moons can't have forests on them. I'm just saying Sounds like that you are. Historically. Sounds like you are. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize this was going to be such a controversial hey, opinion. Pete, I, shut I, up I and be quiet for a little bit, okay? Maybe set a few rounds out. <laughs> wow. I'm just listening. I got it. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> so... I really liked the art in this issue. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I I thought. I mean, Pepe Larraz and Marta Gracia are a tremendous team together. Fucking and a. after them not getting to finish um, House and Powers Hawk together, Hawks. it's really cool yeah. to see them reunited for this. And I hope that uh, Marta is doing well. I know that he was sick for a while, so hopefully he's doing better. Um, this book was definitely beautiful. I especially liked the way that Carol Danvers was drawn. Um, a lot of cre- creators go a lot of ways with her, and I really like this version where she's just there's the, the way they draw her face. Like she's just mm-hmm. so serious. She's not here for your BS. Like I, there were so many moments, so many facials with her that I thought were awesome. I like his Tony Stark too on that same level. It's uh it's very um uh old playboy yeah. type of uh uh look for Tony Stark. Yeah. That has sort of gotten lost in the uh uh the Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Uh, um 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 of it all adaption? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Adaption. That's a good point. Uh Tony Stark has looked like Robert Downey Jr. for so long in the comics. That when he doesn't, it's almost like, whoa, who's this guy? But that's that's Tony Stark. Yeah, but I, I'm with you on uh, on Carol. Like, there's specifically that shot where like they're at the fire and like Tony's monologuing and he's like commenting on how she looks. And there's mm-hmm. like a real, real like you know, just a shot of her and she's kind of coming through the gutter on like a very plain background and it's just like, it's just really, really good, you know? Yeah, it's sharp. Yeah, and the colors, uh, I think a lot of times it can be difficult to see what the colors add to a book. Sometimes it's like they're there and, you know, they're just there. You only notice them if they're real good or real bad. Uh, For me, this is one of those times where it's real good. There are some panels here that I'm fairly confident in saying wouldn't work if they weren't colored this way by this person. Uh, one of those is when Tony is like giving his big speech and he's standing there and like the way that the colors like I don't know how to de- how to describe it or explain it well necessarily, but this panel of him it's the bigger panel on the page. Uh, it's it's really 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 good stuff. I like this new suit too. This is a good suit. Yeah, kind of looks like the ultimate one. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Phil. Yeah, but you know what I really like about it is it, it kind of looks like the ultimate one, but it, it like I never liked the... It's better. It is better, yeah, because I never liked the helmet of the ultimate suit, but I liked the body of it, Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. the best of both worlds. Where, like, you still have the, like, the iconic shape of the helmet, but, like, it's got that nice, like, sleek, like, almost like Halo kind of vibes. For the armor, sure. you know? Second yeah. week, Pete brings up yeah. Halo. Hey, man. Because oh, I, I, I talk about I, Halo so much. know this about you. I thought you were trying... <laughs> Legitimately, I thought you were talking about the thing angels wear. Oh, no. 
Like mass- completely forgot about the video game. Do angels teeth. take their halos off when they're done? Like, do they just like done ah, being good like today? We take off of our day. work clothes. Well, listen. If you guys read the Bible as much as I do, you know that <laughs> you you would know that worshiping God is a full time job. It's twenty four seven for an angel. So they don't really they don't need to take it. They you know they don't take it off. Oh, why would they? My bad. Okay. <laughs> um, Marco, where, where where are you at on the art, dude? I I like when they use bendy dots. So like the little fucking please tell me what I don't. What, what is oh, that? The 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 dots like like when they ink, you use like little little dots in it. If you zoom in on some of the yep. panels, uh, they have like like on the let's see the first page on the guy's leg on the left side. You get to see like like a collection of little dots, um, something like a throwback from old style comics that I enjoy, and I, it's just fun for me. I mean, there's some of it on literally almost every page. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, that's like a huge stylistic thing that, like, when done well, like I really respond to for sure. And and it's done to like accent small things, like uh, the like typically you'll see like uh, scratches for some shading, but. I think Laraz mm. uses it a lot for some of the the shadows, which is interesting. So I, I it gives them depth. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I always like when when they use that. Then the art, obviously, Laraz is incredible. And and to your point on uh, Sean on on the colors, I think my favorite panel is that big two page spread where the the forest it starts off purple and as you get farther away, it like goes all the way to like transitions to a blue. That's mm. awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, also, since we're calling out panels, the panel where the Avengers are in their ship and Cap is like Cap and Black Panther are are, are manning it, and uh, Captain Marvel standing there looking really boss. Mm-hmm. I love this panel. The way Thor is looking out the window, like it's just an awesome panel. And there's so many like this um, that whether or not you care about the story, the art is worth the price of admission. And um, again, Pepe Larraz is a superstar. Like how sick is the shot? Um, <clears throat> where like where like Thor's uh, you know, like making it rain, and I, like it's like this huge like zoomed out shot too, and it's like there are so many artists who just like kind of half ass pages like that, where it's like we're zoomed out so you don't need to have as many like fine details, and it's not like that, you know, and like it makes that moment feel bigger and feel like it has more depth. The color on that page is crazy too. Like, think about how different that page is colored versus almost the entire rest of the book. Like, Gracia's, I feel like, known more for like his oranges and, you know, purples and things like that. And then you have this, yeah, and his pinks. And then you have this page where like that's just not present and it's a totally different palette. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Like, that Thor panel right there that you're calling out is something that I would love to have on my wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's cool because, like, uh, you called out, like, the pinks and stuff. And, like, you definitely, like, see that return. Um, like, where there's the introduction of um, uh, Sequoia, like, coming out of this, like, ethereal, like, pink, naturalistic. Like, it very much has that, like, hoxpox, like, feel to it a little bit, too. Um, so it's cool to get to see, like, the kind of depth of like styles and like moods that that like we're able to get out of the colors you know 
and like seeing like a lot of really harsh reds and stuff like that that like I haven't really seen him do as much. Yeah. Like the interiors of Tony's suit are like really cool. Uh, Sean, that that panel you called out, uh, I wanted to zoom in on it and I accidentally clicked it to guided view on Comixology. And I'm like, yo, this would be dope on a wall. Like there just have it. Yeah. Looks yeah. sick. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Uh yeah. Still muted, Phil. <laughs> we can't Saws, damn it. Uh <laughs> Uh, Marco, describe what you had for audio listeners that don't have a video up. Oh, so it's just the, the this thunderstorm. There's like two levels of clouds. There's a lightning strike far off in the distance uh, all along like the gray of the moon. It's just really cool. And then, and then you, the bubbles are, hear me, my great servant, and come when I call. Store just yelling out. It's dope. It's beautiful stuff. What did you guys make of the story being told here in this issue? I really enjoyed Tony's perspective. Oh, and and like all 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 religious joking aside, I really like that perspective specifically that? from Tony. I thought that it 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 adds a level of depth to Tony while also adding a level of intrigue to what's going on because I feel like he doesn't know what's happening either. Like, he's a man of science, but he's talking about religion. Yeah, or about, like, feeling, having the feeling of, like, a religious experience, which is something yeah. that he's never had before because he is, you know, the skeptic in him or, or what have you. And, like, I liked how they kind of juxtaposed that with, like, um, like that is right, you know, uh, right along the time that that scene with Thor is happening. And he's like, well, that I can understand because I can contextualize it and – it's science at the end of the day, right? But this is something else, and this feeling is something else, and that is interesting. I think that is an interesting perspective from um, not only a scientist, but I think from, like, Tony specifically because of the kind of attitude he usually takes to things, you know, like being being a little bit more of a skeptic. It's kind of cool. I I didn't like that it was from his perspective. I mean, I, I, I don't... I feel like I, I don't know the character and... So when, whenever he would bring up that he thought there was this like lingering feeling in the in like in the air or something that he feels, and then to your point on Kale about like the religious aspect of it, there was nothing within it that was like miraculous necessarily outside of Thor being a god. But when he when he's like that makes sense, it just felt kind of confusing because like, but that's the kind of shit you deal with like regularly. What about this? Is so special, and well, but that's what yet. I mean. That's that's the that's the intrigue. That's the mystery. He feels this way, but he doesn't know why. I was more with Marco in the sense that I don't, I can't tell you the issue, and I can't tell you the scenario. But I feel like I've read this before. This kind of mm-hmm. rhetoric from either Tony himself or a character like him. This just. And look, every writer is coming into things trying to tell their story. And if you would be handcuffed if you couldn't yeah. hit a beat that's been hit before. Um, so I, I get that and I give leverage for that. But um, this felt very much like ground that's been treaded over and over again. And when it comes to Tony, a character who's existed for so long, it's like, dude, I know you've seen 
crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Sure, like sure. you've dealt with Galactus, yeah. you've dealt with religion because you've dealt with the Kree and the Skrulls before. So it's like hasn't Tony met ah, the one above all before? He you might have. I mean? Also, like he's but you know he's buddies with Doctor Strange. <laughs> so not he's got Ghost Rider on his team, who's a fucking servant of the devil or whatever. Yeah, right, like, yeah. what's his yeah. deal? Uh, the, what's his deal as in Ghost Rider in general or this particular character? This particular character, I feel like this isn't the typical a typical Ghost Rider. No, this is the new this, one. This is Robbie Rodriguez. He's the new Ghost Rider. Ooh. He drives a cool car instead Whoa. of a motorcycle. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty. It's cool. a Toyota Actually, Camry. Um, <laughs> Marco, uh, his debut was done by uh, Trad Moore. Oh, really? Oh, who did uh, Silver Surfer Black? Yes. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so you might look that up. It's the art in it is crazy cool. Huh. Phil, I'm I'm intrigued by your perspective because you're you're generally the the Marvel cosmic guy, and is there I a know fucking that boat going by. What the fuck, <laughs> dude? So. It sounds like a fucking tugboat. Like, <laughs> Aluga! Aluga! Get your peanuts here! It's 1920s New York! Fucking, fucking Sean hates pirates, but he lives on a on a sea That's dock. Why he hates them so much? Boat traffic the out there. He's pulling up to the dock starting shit. They're annoying, dude. It's nonstop with these boats. Pulling uh, <laughs> up to my barge. I live very close to <laughs> Never hurry mind. up Captain Tenniel we're away to adventure we're on the seven seas hurry up dude Sean steamboat Willie's outside to pick you up hurry up <laughs> we gotta wrap the show oh, up guys me? I gotta get oh, out of here my, uh, my, my ride's here <laughs> fucking hurry up Sean <laughs> Phil, what is your perspective Disney. on this issue? Because I know you're more the cosmic guy, and you were looking forward to this a lot. But you hate Tony Stark. That's so. true. I don't like Tony Stark, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't care for how Ewing chose to approach it narratively. But uh, I think it set up a lot of intrigue, and honestly, there's like quite a bit like that I'm not familiar with, like Sequoia. Uh, don't know a lot about that character. Uh, so that's interesting. I like I like being dropped into things I don't know about personally. That's something I don't I don't like coming into comics feeling like an encyclopedia on or an authority on things because I I am just the type of person in general that will want to consume all the exposition for my own worldly understanding of whatever this is. And so when I'm dropped into something with intrigue like this, uh, it's kind of it's nice. It's refreshing. It's why I like new things so much because. It's different. And here we have this opportunity to see two ageless empires who have been at war forever uniting toward a common threat. It'd be like at, at the peak of, you know, um, you know, the, the Hellenistic age of, 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 of the Roman Empire, them teaming up with the Persian Empire or something to take over the world. Something crazy. Uh, unimaginable and uh, I think this issue as many number zero issues uh, tend to be is mostly city of intrigue so even though I'm not crazy about the narrative perspective of Tony Stark here or whatever 
I don't think it. I don't think that. I think that's a minor complaint because what this issue is meant to do is a setup for a number one, and I think it does that well. Do we? Do we know who these aliens are? Are they new? Oh, they're Kree. Kale, come on. No, 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 no. The other. Oh, the scroll, buddy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, humans? They're not really aliens to us. Yeah, tell me about them. As guardians. <laughs> oh, humans? Uh, uh, no, the the the. Please tell me about humans. Uh, let's make that a separate podcast. <laughs> um, the the ones that the Avengers are supposed to be helping. The Kotati. The Kotati. Yes, thank you. I don't know. Are they new? Have if, we seen them before? Let's find out. If they're not new, I can't think of a time when I had heard of them before. Okay. So I don't know. I thought as much. They are... Oh, they have been around for a long new. time. Their first appearance... Yeah, their first appearance was in Avengers 130 in 1974. So, But I'll tell you around. what, this, this Marvel wiki page is real thin. I, it seems like... Al Ewing was like, oh, this is something that hasn't been touched a lot. I'm going to play with this. Right. Yeah. Right. Very much so. And Al Ewing is the kind of writer who can make a lot out of very little with, you know, that kind of history. So I'm glad he's he's taking, you know, a, a group that no one probably cares about and then going to add something to them and make them relevant, maybe. That's a Jonathan um, Hickman and Grant Morrison thing to do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it a- it actually looks like they might have just had an arc from, like, 130 to, like, 134, and it's, j- I think, essentially what we were told in well, this book cool. about their, their history with the Kree. That's what this Marvel would when, be, the fandom. When Sean and I interviewed Al Ewing, which you could listen to, uh, he mentioned how, for Immortal Hulk, he basically read the entire history of the Incredible Hulk, like, every single issue to influence his writing. So it wouldn't surprise me where it's like, oh, we're going to task you with this giant event on Marvel Cosmic where he's like, well, I'm going to read basically every Avengers Fantastic Four issue there is. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, I I am going with you guys saying that the, the Tony Stark narrative wasn't that intriguing uh, in the sense that, again, like I said, I feel like I've seen that before. Um, and I know that the idea is supposed to be, well, if he's freaked out, then, you know, I should feel freaked out because, you know, he's been through it all and stuff like that. Um, for me, I'm more interested in like an inciting incident and this issue does what a lot of events do that I don't like a lot of events that I've read since civil war. It feels like don't have inciting incidents. This this issue is telling us, hey, uh, on the moon, we have evidence of the Korean scrolls deciding that they're going to team up. And Tony's like, all right, well, then we're the Avengers and we can't let that happen. So if they come for us, we will defend our people. Avengers assemble. Okay. But what if something happened? To cause the Avengers to have to react to that and defend Earth. Yeah, I it, I agree with that because it felt like something had happened previously that they were that they were responding to and that I probably didn't know. So I, if this was a zero issue, I think to your point, I would have liked there to be some more clarity on that because it just it did just seem that they decided, all right, we're gonna head out to the moon, and we we don't know why for the first like 
few pages of it and then the the Kree and the scroll like attack at the end or are on their way in the end and, and that's sort of the only thing that i think their narrative drove through yeah and to be fair we didn't read incoming so okay. and i didn't read incoming personally so there may be elements in incoming that we missed out on that would inform our knowledge here but i feel like a, a zero issue really is supposed to be okay this is what you need to be able to come in on this event uh as far as like what immediately gets you into it and this didn't yeah. exactly do that for me yep i think that's fair um I also think there's a good chance that if the art wasn't as good that I would feel differently about it because like it being a zero that is just trying to like set the stage like I wasn't really expecting that much from it you know it was just kind of like all right you're gonna like introduce me to who the players are and and like give me you know some threads that we'll pull on later yeah right and that's all fine like that I got that out of it I think the art made the issue feel more than the sum of its parts. Um, and I think that's probably why it landed for me a little bit better than it sounds like it did for you guys. Well, I, I compare it to the zero issue of something like Secret Empire, which I feel was a very strong event. And in that zero issue, if you knew nothing about, you know, why Captain America was repping Hydra, uh, you would have learned that in the Zero Issue. You would have learned all the the things that kind of led up to that. And it wasn't necessarily all retread. If you had read everything that had come before, there was new information, but it was also an easy in for people who hadn't. Uh, so I kind of wish this issue had done more of that. But um, don't we also have another Zero Issue coming for Fantastic Four as well? Yep. Yeah. Yep, there sure I is. Wonder how I wonder how we'll feel on the other side of that as well. Like maybe those are kind of two halves of a whole that will fill in those blanks that we're looking for. Possible. Uh, if I had a guess, though, I would say it just tells this the side of the story of the, the FF and how they get into this event since it is branded both both groups. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This issue, again, because of the fact that it focuses so much on Tony's perspective and kind of filling in how we got to this point just as it relates to like who are the Kree, who are the Skrulls, they fight a lot, blah, blah, blah. Nothing else really happens. And I guess those are important things. It's important to know if you're going to read this this event, who the Kree are, who the Skrull are, why are they always fighting, what's their new agenda. Those things are important. What I was surprised by was and maybe this is my own ignorance because I have fallen off of the weekly Marvel stuff since the coronavirus. I don't know where Hulkling is at, but I was surprised not to see him anywhere. He's yet. on the cover, especially right? since like, he's on the cover. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Seemed weird. So. I could swear there was a panel with him, but he didn't do anything. It was just kind of like, oh, he's he is on the throne. Yeah, that big. There is uh, there is a panel scroll Kree. with him, but it's. For expository reasons, while uh, right, yeah. so that's really it. In, in my in my mind, because the Avengers are going to react, right? 
they're not acting. They're going to react and respond to what the crease and scroll are doing. So in my mind, the most important character is Hulkling, if he's going to lead them. So I need to know what is his perspective? Why is he doing this? What does he have in store? What does he think about the fact that some of the people that he's going to kill are former allies of his, people who he's grown up with? He's still young. These are people who have been on his team since he was a kid. So how does he feel about that? Where's that book? And again, it could be ignorance on my part. Maybe something came out that I haven't read, but that's the story that I feel like needs to be told. And it might be told. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure Empire will address that within its pages. That wouldn't. That's not crazy to to think. Uh, I would have liked it here, at least on, to some degree. Wait, are we talking about a comic book? Because I thought we were watching the TV show Empire, the one on Fox. <laughs> uh, you would never catch me watching that. <laughs> I thought that's what we were supposed well, to do. Actually, Shit. You might. It's amazing we got so much <laughs> yeah. like in common in the conversation. <laughs> There's so much what? crossover. Uh, fucking uh, Rhodey's in that show. Yeah, that's yeah. true. There you go. That's yep. true. I can't wait for War Machine. Uh, any? <laughs> any? Well, he actually is going to be. They showed him in the trailer alongside Captain Marvel when they showed her as the new accuser. He was there, there with go. her. So we we are talking about the same it, thing, you know. If you want more of the Road to Empire, go watch the television series Empire Season 5. <laughs> more like the Road to Empire. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this issue? The, we'll see where it goes. The checklist still has April, May <laughs> on it. <laughs> and I was like, huh, wait a minute. That's, they couldn't have updated Bro, that? There should be a different checklist you're more no. concerned with. <laughs> nice, nice. Just so, keep, just keep throwing it in his face. <laughs> last question for you guys. Then, um, now that we've gotten this zero issue with the first one due out soon, are you guys still interested in him? Yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I no more or less so than I was before. Really, yeah. It'll be better than that Superman Bendis event. <laughs> I I was hyped for this, but this zero issue did not do anything. Yeah, I I am afraid of zero issues for people who are weary of events because they don't. A lot of times they don't do a good enough job of establishing what they need to, and I think about. I don't want to get into a whole soapbox about Avengers or about uh, events, I should say. Fucking might but. as well. We've done everything else this <laughs> this episode. You might as well. Uh, I think that a lot of times events either have too little buildup or too much. Uh, zero issues should really be the middle ground of that. And I don't really understand what someone like Marco, who has little interest or knowledge in a majority of these characters and their histories as it pertains to comics, especially in the last few years, how, like, what is your bridge point supposed to be? It's It should, in my mind, be the zero issue, and this one failed at that. So if I'm judging it from the perspective of what is this issue responsible for, 
I would say that it failed. But that's my perspective, right? So I think that's like a fair assessment, you know? Um because I like I went into this issue with no expectations really except for the fact that like I know that there are a lot of really talented creators on the book. Um and it didn't it didn't give me a a push to keep going. Right? Like if we're going to keep reading this for the show, like I'm totally like, yeah, like let's see where it goes. Like I didn't think it was bad and there's still talent here. Like I think for the art alone it'll be worth showing up for. Um but that doesn't you know, that's not where you want to be going into a new event, right? You want me to have read this and be like, fuck yeah, what's what's next? And I don't feel that way. Yeah. Well, uh as long as it's better than the last few well, okay. We read Heroes in Crisis on this show. That was mm. We read Event Leviathan on this show. That wasn't much better. If it, it wasn't better. Uh, and we read Doomsday Clock, which was good. So it was fine. Hopefully, whatever. This is the first Marvel event we're, we're reading on this podcast, I think. And I'm excited to take that journey if we mutually agree to do it. Am I wrong? Is that not correct? I was just th- like, I guess it depends on if you consider Hoxpox an event, yeah. which it's it's not like a capital E event, but it feels like an event, you know? like Yeah. I, that's true. I guess in my mind, I'm talking about like the line, the wider, like yeah. all-encompassing events. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right about that. I don't think we've read another one. Yeah, I'm. I'm, right, I'm down. I'm Let's do it. So Let's do it. <laughs> yep. Did you guys? Did we'll, you guys hear that the Leviathan, whatever the new Leviathan thing yeah. from Bennis and Malieve, uh has been uh, delayed indefinitely? Good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely tremendous. It, I'm confident it has more to do with the coronavirus sure. than yeah. anything. Oh, yeah. I, For sure. I give a a man can dream. I'm not going to read it. I just don't want it to come out. That's <laughs> yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want what to come out. I don't want to be threatened to read that book again. <laughs> the the Bendis coronavirus. Book. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Sean, end the show. Thank you. <laughs> So if you're excited for Empire and you're going to be reading that event, come hang out with us as we review it every time they drop an issue. We'll be here. We'll be talking about it. Uh, talk to us about anything that we discussed on this episode of the show. If you want to share your feelings and let them be heard, you can do so by reaching out to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can get us on all the socials at the Comics Pals. We are dark for today. We are the Dark Comics Pals, but uh, next week will be something else. Join us in the light next week. If no, we won't be. If you if you have a suggestion for what Marco should be reading as punishment that we didn't discuss, you can throw that in. Although the choice has already been made, we might need more suggestions for the future if Marco continues <laughs> to uh, to try to test me. Uh, and of course, double or nothing right now. <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, you can. Leave us your comment there, like the video as well, and uh, share with your friends. You can hit the notification bell to be made aware of when we drop new content, and you can subscribe to our channel for more new content. As for book clubs, this Tuesday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, and if you're not, it's already out, Killer Be Killed Book Club, one of our favorites, great book, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Elizabeth Brett Weiser, awesome creative team, 
definitely want to check that out. And uh, with that, let's do some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of Comics Pals. I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to connect with me, uh, come chat with me about what you've been reading, uh, what you've been watching, what you've been playing. Um, I'm still uh, playing The Last of Us 2. So if you've got a hot take about that one, don't spoil anything for me. But we come talk, come, come, come have a conversation with me about it. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, uh, you can head over to Loot Pots, where uh, I do their weekly show, The Potscast, uh, as well as the Patreon exclusive show, After Dark, and sometimes I stream over on the Twitch channel. So if you want to catch some stuff from me, uh, I'm there too. Nice. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Toto Intola, T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Let's talk about plastic lips. <laughs> I don't like the way you said that. Good. <laughs> Uh, you can find my work at killward.com, and if you want to commission me to write about plastic clips, you can do so, uh, as well as uh, read all my comics for free. So there you go. It's the only topic that you can commission him about, though. If you're not interested <laughs> about writing about plastic clips, look elsewhere. Yep. Marco? You can follow me at Mr. Marco Nomoto on Instagram and Twitter. I have recently been reading the Swamp Thing uh, what? digital you? only stuff. Yeah. Unbelievable, and it's interesting. I've been having mixed feelings because Tom Mandrake oh. is back on, and the writing is by Phil Hester, both Swamp Thing former artists and collaborators. And I don't know how I feel about it. So, Dang. if you're a Swamp Thing fan, come talk to me about it because this is the last happy thing I'll probably be re- be reading for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, uh, follow me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about The Last of Us Part 1, which I'm currently playing right now, uh, trying to catch up. And uh, anything else, honestly, that you're that you're interested in. I want to hear from people who are having a good time. So whatever you're having a good time with, hit us up. Hit me up to talk about it. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Hey, Marco, which of these Onslaught quotes are you most excited for? Know my name and fear. I am Onslaught. Uh, Behold my mighty hand. The world will tremble. Uh, Free will is a privilege, not a right, in quotes. Or I was forged within the crucibles of fear. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That last one's pretty good. Hell yeah.